My name is Ryan Smith. And my name is Shannon Hartley. You're listening to the Eastern Oregon Connection, a show celebrating small town community and highlighting the people that make it great. We'll be talking with local business owners, nonprofits, city leaders, farmers, and a host of other interesting people. We hope you'll join us for some personal stories, laughs, local news and events, and an all-around good time. This This is the the EO Connection. Connection. Welcome into the Eastern Oregon Connection. It's Shannon Hartley with my co-host Ryan Smith. How you doing, bud? Another day. Another day. This week we have an awesome conversation with uh, my buddy. We go back a little bit, JJ Hill, and just a really fun, fun guy, easy guy to talk to, and he's had a really cool experience recently where he got a go and audition on the voice mm-hmm. lots of lots of people have probably heard of the big show with Blake Shelton and John Legend Gwen Stefani Camila Cabello um, so he shares about his experience doing that along with a lot of the other things that he's got going on right now yeah what I think about JJ and I think about how how I really love podcasts because it gives you time to really give context and explain and and do more than put somebody or something in a box of a 10 second little pitch. And I feel like, you know, JJ, you could say, oh, he's, he's born in Pilot Rock. He, he was on The Voice. But that is just scraping the surface <laughs> of, of, you know, his personality, his vision, his his skills. And it was just, I really had a lot of fun getting getting to know him today. So Yeah, and I think everyone else will. So why don't we go ahead and get into it? Let's do it. All right. Welcome into the Eastern Oregon Connection. This is Shannon Hartley here with my co-host, Ryan Smith. How you doing, buddy? Doing good, my friend. Today we have my buddy, JJ Hill, with us. Hello. <laughs> so sultry over there on the mic. I'm trying to go as deep as possible for the crowd today. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, JJ and I know each other. We go back to our days at Eastern Oregon University, um, which... We talk about Eastern Oregon University quite a bit on this podcast, which... Go Mounties. Go Mounties. Uh, mount up. Mount up, yeah. <laughs> EOU, I remember my the slogan when I was there is, EOU, get it in. <laughs> <laughs> it was for a whole year. No better slogan than that. <laughs> Nobody caught it. <laughs> <laughs> Not a single Thanks. person Thank was like... Thank you, Eastern Student Entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what'd you study at Eastern? Theater. Uh, with an emphasis in acting, um, with a lot of educational journey regret, um, <laughs> mixed in with what else would I have done? No, yeah, it was theater. It was cool. I don't use it anymore, but it's, <laughs> it, it taught me a lot about myself, <laughs> which sure. was needed. Well, and I'm trying to remember back. Like, did we did we hang out before? Because uh, JJ and I. We we were in a play together called Assassins, and I I had never been into the art scene before college. Well, first it was your first play, wasn't it? Or first my, musical? F- first, Both. well, uh, outside of like elementary school, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was my it was my first play. Um, I had done choir all through high school, and then choir so could sing. choir into college, and then, uh, but yeah, Fune is the one who John who, Wilkes. <laughs> He pushed me. Yeah, he, he Fune played John Wilkes Booth. Oh, yeah. No, I don't associate him as that. It's, uh, that's what we played in <laughs> Assassins. It was a twisted musical, which was, was fun. It was yeah. Crazy fun. Assassins. Do you want to tell the people what, what Assassins was about? 
Well, what part were you again? You were Lee Harvey Oswald. I was Lee you? Harvey Oswald, yeah. So, yeah, so Assassins was, I guess I was kind of like the ringleader of the story. Uh, yeah, I was yeah. called the proprietor. Take that however you will. I had to kind of <laughs> interpret myself what that meant. But my director at the time told me, you're the devil. And that's what it was. <laughs> like, you, you're, you're enticing these dudes to do these things. I'm like, okay. So I pretended like all these people were kind of good, that I was just turning evil, had some really weird effects. No, it was fun. Um, <laughs> how was that? Sorry, real quick. How is that portrayed in the play? Are you just like a voice in the background, or are you actively like walking about telling people their dark thoughts? Or yeah, you yeah. can actually see it on. They have it's actually on YouTube. If you ever if you're ever curious and want to see Shannon, ours is yeah. All the clips are on YouTube. Oh, how do you find I did it? Not I just know searched that. A Assassin's Musical EOU one day and I found it. So. Okay. Full disclosure: yeah. Lee Harvey Oswald doesn't come in till. Pretty much the, the end, end of, the, of play. the play. Yeah. So if if there's spoilers, people, yeah, if there's people out there that are only looking for my clip because you know me because yeah. you're listening to this, or just just go to the end. Or mine, mine's right. My my big moments right at the start. I got the opening song. Yeah. Well, you were a, you were but big throughout there. the whole yeah. thing. Like I was you there in the background, moving, like lurking, guns, lurking, saying like little tiny lines that weren't necessarily mine, but I kind of gave it to create that effect. Mm -hmm. But it was the idea of chronologically going from start to the last um, assassination on an American president. And it was all the attempted and successful, the most notable. So you yeah. had, mm -hmm. uh, forgive me if I don't say the names right, but you had Charles Guiteau, um, who tried to murder or assassinate uh, William McKinley. Um, you have Lee Harvey Oswald, who uh, famously JFK. Um, John Wilkes Booth, Lincoln. Mm -hmm. There was, I can't remember. Is what? this exclusive to the U.S. or is this just It's exclusive global? to the U.S. U.S. Okay, US I was going to say US France Ferdinand, First World War. Assassinations on U.S. That's not on U.S. presidents. US presidents. Sorry, I, yeah, I, yeah. I have laughs on that part there. No, but yeah, so it was a really dark... Uh, Situation. I had a double mohawk. I looked like an owl. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it was. A, I was a lot, lot bigger at the time too, so it was really owl looking. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, like red eyeliner. So it was very sinister, like character and That's time. Right. So it was really weird just to kind of sing about <laughs> like being frustrated with like the marketplace and killing the president. So it was just, and it's odd to even talk about it now, but we did it. <laughs> it kind of, and is, that was actually. a thing that a college or university did, and was like, hey, check this play out. Yeah, that was uh, that was that was my first play, like like we said, and uh, uh, as you mentioned, Ken Bush, who was our director, yeah. Um, so he gave you, he gave you the direction of like you're the you're the devil the essentially. Devil, yeah. So my direction, my first meeting ever with a director of a play, I come in and. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Do you remember yeah. what he told me? No, but this oh. would be crazy. If yeah. This is your first one. Ken, yeah, Ken Bush. He was. Uh, he was the intimidating yeah. director at Eastern. It's He's like, the guy that would cuss at you in if class. You, if you got into a Ken Bush play, that was like a big deal at the time. And yeah. I had, oh, I even remember my audition. I, I didn't, uh, I didn't have Jamie Jacobson play any, or no, it was Mio on the piano during the audition. Yeah. Or no, maybe it was Jamie. No, was Jamie it? and Ken, I think were listening and then Mio was playing piano. It was a mixture, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I came in, I really had no idea what I was doing. So I, I did some monologue. I'm not even, I don't remember what play it was from. It's the best monologue. And then I sang a song, I think that Fune was like, you should sing this. And I was like, all right. Got it. <laughs> and, uh, but I was like, I'm just, 
I, I walked in, I was like, I'm just going to do this acapella because I didn't really know how to do it with accompaniment. And so I went in and they saw something in me. <laughs> I don't know they what did. it was. You know, and a couple of us, I'm, I'm going to honestly say, we were surprised that Ken cast this you know, new young, fresh kid on, like, you know, we were kids too, but we thought we were like, we know what's going on. Mm-hmm. He's going to get in there and he's going to have an awkward moment. It's going to be bad. It's going to be too many lines. The funny thing was, it wasn't that many lines. Nope. It was just like a little <laughs> tiny part at the end. But it's that's the funny part about it. It's like, the only thing that was large was stage presence. That's true. And it was time on stage, so it was it was cool for anybody to do. So if you could sing, I love that that was your first one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, was it, cool. was, it was a good experience, but it was funny because... It was also your last, right? No. Oh, you didn't? Okay. No, I was going to say that would be funny if it well, was your last. I mean, <laughs> yeah, first and last. Couldn't, couldn't take uh, all the heat. <laughs> Done with musicals. Um, but yeah, Ken Bush's his direction to me when I came in to meet with him one on one, he told me to uh, go in a go into a dark room and think about um, think about someone dying, and, like who who would make me that person that would make me just you know break down, cry, think about them dying. Yeah, and I was just like, geez, that's. And I feel like I wasn't good at it. He, you got like the you got the focused crash course of like him doing that to you in the middle of class. Yeah, like he wants you to break down to where you are. You don't know where you are. You're like fight or flight, <laughs> like sobbing. That's what he wants to see. He's I, like breakthrough. You've done it. You've done it. <laughs> I'm this kid coming from Pilot Rock. Like okay, dude. I I like SNL. I want to learn like comedic timing. Yeah, I have to do this stuff too. That's oh. great. And then he he ripped into me because we had our first our first meeting, and I think we were supposed to have something prepared, and I didn't realize that I was supposed to have it prepared and bring it to the first meeting. Not an excuse. And he was just like, <laughs> essentially like, I knew I shouldn't have done this. Like I knew I knew <laughs> I, sh- I knew I shouldn't have cast you. Dude. You you come to this meeting, you're not even prepared. You better show me something next time. Like it was. How'd you it was feel? A, it, oh, I felt like crap. Okay, I'm gonna give you a gift right now. But it was good for me though, because I, I that's honestly the kind of the best coaching for me. Yeah, it's. I mean, I like I like that kind of like hard, firm, like my best football like, coach. Don't he, mess up. Yeah, my best football coach I had uh, when I was younger. He was hard ass like that. He was like, if you don't get into the end zone on this play, you're coming out of the football game. I mean, I was like, you know, the best player on my team, but he was still hard ass yeah. on me. Like, if you don't get in, it's you're clear, coming out. It's direct. It's not gonna happen again. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, that's all you need I know. know what you want. I know what I need to do. Oh, dude. I'm going to do it. Uh, and that's that. <laughs> well, that same guy that was a hard-ass on you. Sorry, Ken, if you're going to listen to this. Um, <laughs> but I did my senior project with Alan Arnson. Mm-hmm. That was, uh, it was called The Unseen by Craig Wright. If you're a play junkie, go check it out. It's not very long. But it's a little Rosencrantz and Guildensterner dead style. So it's like um, very dystopian feeling like you don't know where this is taking place, when this is taking place. It's two jail cells with a wall in the middle mm-hmm. where the actors can't even see each other until the end of the play. And they don't, they only interact each other, with each other through the wall in their own space. And then Ken Bush was our director and he was also the guard, the third character, that had two monologues, just two monologues. This five sentences was one of them. I think 25 sentences was the other one. It was kind of a long monologue. And the idea was this wasn't planned. 
this this wasn't in the schedule for the the run of the school. Um, Alan and I needed a senior project to graduate, and we didn't get cast in a role because it, we just didn't fit the role. It would have mm-hmm. looked stupid if we were in the role that was available to us. So it's not because you're not talented. It's not because I'm not talented. Uh, <laughs> it's just because I didn't fit the role. I did think at the time I'm not talented. And I'm not going to graduate. Um, but that that passed quickly. Um, so we pitched our idea of like. Will you do this if we memorize all these lines like it's a professional um, Broadway, off-Broadway, like straight play production, mm-hmm. not a musical? So they, they, you, you get your script. You only have a couple weeks to memorize. You need to show up to rehearsal off book. Mm-hmm. For first rehearsal, you need off book. Just a couple, couple weeks to memorize? Yeah. I had 790 lines. Oh, my goodness. Total. It was, it was so much. <clears throat> Alan had like 640 we did it. Like I, I got, I got off book to where I was comfortable with the whole thing to like the last two pages, but I could stumble through. Alan got like fifty percent of the way there by day eleven. Ken had no idea the first word of his both of his monologues. He riffed it. No, he didn't. He oh. just he he's like, oh, I'm sorry, guys. I just I can't. I uh, oh, he I just, just wasn't prepared. Have, uh, I didn't have time. It's uh, no excuse. I thought you were gonna say he just he just riffed it and just killed. No, he didn't. He did not. And I was he's human. Um, <laughs> and I and I totally made him feel like shit. Um, oh, nice, nice. He's you know, like I can. <laughs> I will say my relationship with Ken ended up great you know yeah. he was super nice the play all went great and he pushed me to where i needed to be and made me responsible and and uh, yeah held me accountable it's good it was a really dope show really good actors all that stuff it was awesome it kind of paved the way to do more stuff for me and probably you just in general well yeah i did uh i did the 25th uh 25th annual putnam county spelling bee after that oh yeah i saw it with uh was nick johnson in that nick too? johnson yeah. did that uh madison ribbick um some other friends. I'm trying to remember who else was in it. Uh, but yeah, that was uh, Nick McLean. Um, that was a lot of fun. It was just, that was a funny one. So it was yeah. very different from Assassins. Yeah, and I was beating light. And then <laughs> and then I did Titanic with the whole choir. Were you in Titanic? Sweet. No, I wish I would have I didn't been. think you were. But Was the My Heart Will Go On in it? No. That so the cool. play was actually written before the movie came out. Oh, so it's, it's a lot more true to what actually happens oh so the movie depiction is not accurate uh no <laughs> there's no giant diamond oh, i knew that it's i, I think i think it's pretty loosely based although um i was the closest thing to jack yeah you do i you got a little dicaprio i don't <laughs> no, appreciate that um i was the uh the lower level you know the the poor people um love story yes with uh keith mcgowan um, nice. I don't even remember what my character's name was, but <laughs> I remember uh, that was good. Keith McGowan. Yeah, but you had a good time. <laughs> had a good time. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Brian, have you ever been in a musical? I feel like I've uh, I've been able to appreciate the arts from afar because my experience. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I've you know my experience in the arts was mostly music, but I've both my sisters on both sides of my family came up as as big actor actresses um, through high school and stuff like that, and so uh, my little sister in West oh. Salem. Uh, really got into it, and I went and watched her do "Bring It On" a few years back. But oh, cool. also, um, like the cheerleader, "Bring It On." I could yeah, tell, yeah, yeah. I mean, there was the, there was cool. the dance moves and everything, and I mean, she got to get thrown up in the air. I think she was a flyer because she's she's a little thing, and um, that's Lauren. She did a great job in that one, and she's done others, but that's the the more recent one I caught. And then 
uh, my sister Lexi that that uh, I graduated with. Yeah, um, she was. Cool. Oh yeah, she, huge into theater. She was in the. Yeah, she was definitely right in the mix through high school and uh, and did a lot of Blue Mountain stuff. Um, I'm trying to think. One of the big ones that comes to mind for, for me was Les Miserables, and mm-hmm. I remember she kind of yeah. got a last minute mix up of playing. Um, was it Jean Valjean the the main? Yeah, yeah. They had to recast, and then there was a late recast, and oh she no. had to jump in and fill that role. And I remember that was quite a project. And she she did a lot of cool shows, but but that's just the first one that comes to my mind. Cool, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you're, you're adjacent and there a little bit. <laughs> I feel like we all have our different things that we appreciate that we really try to master our craft in. And and um, sure. acting has never been something I've dabbled in, in, but I've definitely admired it from afar. It's uh, quite an art. And something I've always liked to ask people that have done that is, you know, when you're explaining these roles and having to memorize these lines, I think about how you're taking that like way outside of the context of like a one or two hour classroom session you have to really embrace that role you got to read lines at your house and i wonder if it may be difficult to muddle those lines between the role you're trying to portray in this show that is taking up so much of your focus and energy and what you really think and feel can you share your thoughts on that yeah oh yeah that's i mean so that's all part of it it's about compartmentalizing and being able to i think that's what a lot of college was is being able to learn how to turn it off um, it's what it separates a. <laughs> it reminds me of the Book of Mormon. <laughs> Turn oh. it off. Have you seen that? <laughs> I have seen that. <laughs> but it's 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 that kind of sentiment of being um, is that crossing from amateur to professional. An amateur, a lot of time, and I'm not gonna say because there are acting techniques out there like the method acting. Not a lot of people that I know use it anymore. Um, they're like in character, backstage, even if it's a basic character that they could portray really easily, they're mm-hmm. still in character when they don't necessarily need to exude that energy. And sorry to keep rolling on yeah. that tangent. So that's like when Jim Carrey did this documentary about his role as, what was it, Andy? Andy Kaufman, yeah. Yes, he and he was method acting, person, and it showed yeah. sort of like the mental struggle, right, that he went through of trying to really... And that's cast, method acting, correct? Yeah, it's method acting. The okay, sorry, crew, so go forward. The <clears> casting <throat> crew, like he fully embodied that character, and he was really, like he treated people the way that that person treated them to really get into that zone. I think in a documentary, he's even said, he's like, sorry about that. Like that was a little too much. Yeah. And that's the type of thing that people can kind of slip into. Like, that's why you got to be careful and being able to compartmentalize when sure. it's method acting and when it's okay. And when it's kind of the time where you don't need to do it. I mean, I think that's kind of why, um, Heath Ledger? No, his name is he's he played Lincoln. Oh yeah, uh, Daniel Daniel Day Lewis. Lewis. Yes, I think that's why he does so few things is because the intensity of his presence with people is is taxing. Yeah. Um. So yeah. time wise, it, it, if you're able to compartmentalize, which I wasn't able to back in college, it's just all about technique. Um. My my saving grace was I didn't really memorize to commit to memory. I just memorized for the performance in my head, so my intention was to let it go afterwards. Mm-hmm. The only things that have stuck are the memorable, unique things that you could never forget type of thing, like a monologue, a whole thing, just because every other line is crazy. Mm-hmm. Share with us one that just sticks with you after all these years. Um, the, here's one. Uh, I had a dream last night that I was floating in space in a rocket ship, and outside the window there was a tiny little orange, like a little blue nerf ball just floating there that's just the first part of it then it goes on to talk about <laughs> yeah, like it just puts cheetos you and 
and love, and it just really gets into this like <laughs> nothing like Cheetos and love, right? And <laughs> but it's it, some of those things stick. Some of it doesn't like Shakespeare sticks, like because that's kind of you have to rhythmically learn it. So a song that you've memorized when you were a kid, having fun just singing to the radio, same thing. That doesn't leave right when you hear that same beat or you get comfortable with that like methodology again. It's all just gonna flood back, and you even think to yourself. How do I know the words to third eye blind semi charm kind of life? <laughs> How? I don't even know that I'm saying it. It's just coming out. Yeah. And it's kind of like that for me. And that's kind of what I applied to it. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And there's a weird relationship where things come back to you because of other things, right? I've seen. Oh, like... yeah. Smells like that's a crazy thing. Like mm -hmm. I can get a different smell and I can just get a flood of memories and just like, like oh, I was thinking about this at this time. And this was cool. Um, all the senses, really. Yeah, it's it's cool how it starts to really affect you with that. And like, it's not nostalgia, but it's kind of like just that sense memory of how you felt when you were in this situation. And it's kind of mm -hmm. cool to me remember that feeling. Oh, that's definitely true. Yeah, smells is that's a strong one. Like, yeah, when I smell like a weird waxed floor at a <laughs> place, I'm just like, oh, it's fall, school's starting up again. Better go get like my backpack and new like sneakers and. Get ready to go to class. Like, <laughs> do you ever do you ever think of a smell that you know you really enjoyed, in, like in the past, and you just like yearn to smell that again? Yeah, I, I <laughs> such a weird thing. Swiss steak. Swiss steak. Yeah, it's like French onion soup mix with like, and you just like boil steak and gravy. <laughs> My mom good. did it because it's like one of those holdover like post um, depression meals, meals yeah. like, that everybody was like, oh, this is the new age, like. <laughs> But it's just like boiled meat and gravy. It's pretty dope. It's really like tender and you, know, you just pour the gravy over some mashed potatoes. It's a pretty good meal. It sounds good. That's smells, funny. smells very distinct. Oh, my Not wife talks about like beans and ham hock and it's like this oh, fond yeah. memory of this like amazing food because of, you know, whatever it's it's meant to her and she just loves it, <laughs> the taste of it and everything. But I laugh because it's like... it. It's kind of like the movie Ratatouille, right? It's like, this is not some special luxury item, but it means it's what to you, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like somebody could, somebody's happy, and I know the people who are happy eating a McDonald's cheeseburger, and they're they're content just because it takes them back to a good time where they felt like safe and warm and <laughs> comfortable. And I'm just like, yeah, that's dope. I literally just had a McDonald's cheeseburger on the way here. I want to go get one. <laughs> Thank you, McDonald's. Blake, if you're listening, I'm so sorry. I just ate a McDonald's cheeseburger. Who <laughs> so wouldn't be proud of me? Who are you apologizing to? Blake. He was on last. He's like super health and fitness, fitness guy. Fitness, yeah. 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 So now I feel like he's judging me from afar. <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> I hope he's laughing at this part of the podcast. Yeah. Are you doing health and fitness? No, I need to be. Yeah. That's the thing. Me too. Do I look like I'm doing health and fitness? You've always looked physically Aww. fit. You got a good like it's like a it's a slender dad bod for the, for the that's true for the viewers or it's listeners. Starting to not get slender though. It's okay. You that's, just gotta tighten it up. Yeah. No. I gotta. That's right. I gotta hit the gym. I gotta keep going at it. Yeah. Um. Going back to method acting though. <laughs> <laughs> Stop talking about physique. <laughs> um. I mean that is essentially what people accredit to taking Heath Ledger essentially right was getting too into character and like getting stuck in his this dark place and yeah I mean that's like I, I, I watched a documentary that said he put like <clears throat> all these disturbing photos up in the hotel and would kind of just like lock himself away for a little while he got there it was gorgeous portrayal on screen yeah, but it just unfortunately it had negative effects on I 
think I think like his executive function. So he like didn't know if he was taking too many. Like there's any number of things could happen in that scenario. But like just that the creation <clears throat> and mental exhaustion from that led to a situation where he was in then. It's unfortunate. And it's like, yeah, he was dope, man. I love 10 Things I Hate About You. So good. Um, a night, I love A Night's Tale. Dude. Um, That's still circulating. I, that was such a good movie. So good. Yeah, and it breaks your heart to be like, wow, where could that have career have gone? Um, but it makes you wonder because it's like, God, such good art comes from strong emotions. And there's obviously deep, strong emotions. And it's like it obviously was a phenomenon. It was a beautiful piece of film and so many people loved it. It was one yeah. of my favorite movies. So Same. what do you, what do you do with that when it comes at such a price? Is it just an unfortunate side effect? And I think the, I think the arts and, and Shannon, if you have a take on this too, let me know. I think the arts draw in people who need an outlet and that's what they've mm. found. So mm. for me, I'm just a little inside. I'm pretty open book about this. As an adult, I've been diagnosed with PTSD uh, from childhood traumas and then ADHD. I'm diagnosed all my entire life. Um, now I've had medication, therapy, um, meditation, hypnotists, um, all this cool stuff that's actually helped a lot um, for me to be able to kind of recognize all that stuff and put the brakes on when I did. Because I look at people like Heath Ledger. I don't know if this was for him, but like Robin Williams, Chris Farley. When you dive deep into their inner psyches and hear what their friends around them said before they passed, like they were in internal struggle, like in their heads. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, a lot of people with undiagnosed ADHD, I think, flock to theater and music because um, there's something about that. Or in comedy, there's that adrenaline rush. You know, they say ADHD people are thrill seekers that like climbing and bungee jumping and like mm -hmm. rafting and they're always on the move hiking and camping and stuff. There is another section of them that get that same amount of rush from being on stage in front of a crowd of 400 people and telling a joke and everybody cracking up laughing. Yeah. The dopamine mm -hmm. that is released in your brain when you get a response like that from a crowd or if you make somebody cry from a monologue that you do, like, oh man, there is something to that that brings people with underlying conditions that they maybe their family hasn't addressed from their past traumas, not being able to see it, and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And so that can create a really toxic situation when you're really immersing yourself into the mind of, let's say, a psychopath. Mm -hmm. When you don't have the executive functions enough to be able to compartmentalize the differences between this is not me even though I can portray this really well and act like it really well because I've been masking to try and protect myself from the outside world because of this like thing that's wrong or thing that I don't know, it just kind of turns into this snowball uh, of this blurred line when it gets there. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I've always, I've always liked to be around creative crowds, but I, I don't necessarily think I'm a, I'm a super creative person or creative thinker, but I love being around people that are, and for me, and I think for a lot of people, um, community is, is such a big thing. And especially like the theater community is so arms open, welcoming to people. And you do get a space for that creative outlet. And that's what I loved about it is, is just 
the community and and having an outlet to try something new, do different things, be you know, act stupid and yeah. not be judged for it. And it's um, definitely a very <clears throat> comparable, if not as exactly the same level um, that goes into it because that you can be stupid. Yeah, and and uh, this just popped into my head, but like you can take you know someone who may have deemed themselves a loser in high school, put them in a college acting course, and you might have a, a jock in college who's playing football join that same course and like they're both going to be completely you know welcomed and not judged for what they do it's just like we're making this happen we're trying new things and that's it's that's rare you don't find that in a lot of spaces and um you get people from all over who are just wanting to try something different something new and i think that in itself getting people you know a a diverse group of people together creates awesome creativity within itself. Mm-hmm. Totally. Oh yeah. <clears throat> I mean, you kind of said it like, so it's, it's like as you get older and go through education, if you, if that's your route or go through work, it's finding that next larger community with mm-hmm. more defined, uh, subgroups kind of, it's like yeah. the overall mm-hmm. group is the, the college itself. But instead of in high school, you have like this, this, and this, in college, there's like it's just it's a smorgasbord of like mm-hmm. uh, selection, but then you're also still there together, so you start to have that crossover. So it's like ten percent of the theater kids probably want to be athletes, mm-hmm. but they never really wanted to do it, or it was intimidating or something. Same feelings that the athletes, ten percent of the athletes have, but like I want to try theater, mm-hmm. but they are intimidated to do it. It's the same type of feeling. Can, can I break that yeah. down a little I'll raise bit? My do hand you mean? On that one. Yeah, I think. And correct me or kind of guide me in your thought here, but what you're saying is basically when you're in high school and college, maybe you find that you really do enjoy drama or the arts and you've got that sense of community, but there's one director and there's one play happening and you're kind of in or out of that big piece that's happening. Whereas maybe after you're through college, you're in your mid twenties and you're wanting to get involved. Maybe it's not like one actor and this is your shot at the local community college. It's like these people want to do this kind of specialty, like action running, moving piece. These people want to break down like monologues and just go really deep into the psyche. Does that kind of. uh, Exactly. That's exactly right. Even with, I mean, even breaking it down to on that side of things. So theater in, in high school is just theater. In college, it's design, costume, acting, directing. And stage then same directing stage, like, same thing with like sports. There's managing, um, uh, sports marketing, uh, kinesiology, exercise science, um, all the different background stuff in, in both things, and also the the sport itself. Um, so like that structure, like in high school, I think since it is so small and kind of pigeonholed, but there are options. I mean, if you, especially if you go to high school with some sort of funding, um, it's kind of a forced situation. Right, you're in, you're in an environment that's designed to teach you how to behave. Basically, our our learning in high school and elementary school is learning behavioral traits that we can then apply into the world. That's true. To be yeah. good citizens, that's kind of what it is. The more knowledgeable we are, the more mindful and thoughtful we are. So once we get to college, it's not this forced situational environment anymore. That's why I think there are those bigger groups, and that's why there's that more crossover because people aren't held by the same boundaries that they used to have um, through social norms or whatnot, because college creates that anonymity right when you get there Mm -hmm. because it's a mixture of different students. Well, sure, and then there's so many other dynamics like um, 
okay, what are your commitments? I know I signed up for this class. I have to be here from this time to this time. And this is my role. And I'm, if I want to make it by, I have to follow these specific guidelines. And I'm not saying that that's wrong, but I'm saying, I guess if you're wanting to, to pursue this avenue beyond, you know, the traditional school or whatever, there's, there's cool opportunities. And another thought I have that goes to this is we think, um, I, one thought I've had a long time is like, yeah, the, these arts, this is really cool. I love it. People need to find their thing, but it's like, where, what, are, where does that get you beyond school? Right. It's like, oh, okay. So a few people make it on TV. Most people try and they starve in their vans, but I think that's really just not the case. Can yeah. you kind of elaborate on that? Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the other side of the coin. You know, that's the, that's the, uh, and I don't, I don't advocate every person or even every student right now that's getting ready to think about college or whatever to go to post-secondary. Right. Make a plan, think about it, but please keep going. Yeah, because it's just this, if that is your choice and finding out, thinking about your choices, your internal um, monologue, so to speak, instead of listening to the external, because you could have parents saying, go to college, do this, do that. But if that's not right for you, it's still, uh, whether you're appeasing people or not, it's not going to work. Um, even if you get straight A's, it's not going to work. You're not going to retain. Like, I don't think I should have went to school. Hmm. Because of where my life eventually led, I leaned into my degree. Yes, eventually I did. Um, but with experiences that I've gathered, most of the time, my jobs and my successes have come from those experiences and the skills that I've learned moving to Alaska on a whim, going to New York and living there on a whim and just changing, going from seasonal job to seasonal job, um, being like the best work ethic I could, like that kind of stuff has, has gained me knowledge and experience. So those types of things, they're great. And so I'm a prime example of like, I probably shouldn't have done that. That wasn't my path because it was just more stress and worrying about how I'm going to pay all this money back. And each thing just kept compounding, and the education got lost at the back end. Mm -hmm. So priorities shifted. Um, so I eventually got my degree, and then, yeah. But most students who go to college um, learn really quickly <laughs> if it's going to be for them or not, and some stay and, and slug it out to where it's going to be a 2.5 GPA um, transcript by the time they graduate, but they graduated and then they're going to have a rude awakening when some random job asks for their transcripts 20 years from 20 years ago. And they're like, that's not a representation of who I was. Yeah. And if they didn't have that to begin with and just experience, it wouldn't matter type of thing. And this is a fun conversation because JJ and I were both, well, my, my title was admissions counselor. Uh, for what's now Bushnell University. Yeah, and, and and mine was, I ended as interim ad director of admissions, I think is what it was at BMCC, but it yeah. was our recruitment outreach coordinator. Yeah, so we would we would actually see each other out on the road recruiting, um, and it was, it was fun to get to see his face all around. <laughs> there was a lot of talking. It was a lot of talking, and it did not, the like setting up at high school fairs and that kind of stuff that did not work out well for my voice because I, I kind of talk with a lower, um, lower tone anyway. Mm -hmm. And doing that for, you know, two, three hours, however long the fair is my voice just after one day will go rasp and I'll pretty much yeah. lose it. Talking is actually like bad for your voice. 
Yeah. You know what? Singing's well, really good for your voice. I think what I I, I think I need to talk up here more. I yeah. think is what I need to do. I think that's what Jamie Jacobson would tell yeah. me. Yeah, Jamie so, would always say like if that's like, her second shout out. Don't whisper if you're on vocal rest because that's actually the worst on your voice. If your voice hurts, really? don't try and whisper because that's worse. That's gonna be the one, the biggest takeaway people take yeah. from this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> don't whisper when your don't voice whisper. hurts. Don't whisper. Just be silent <clears throat> and write stuff down. No, that's funny. Well, you cracked the can on music, so now we got to open that guy. Oh, um, yeah. But where did you, were you like doing a lot of choir in college as well? Or what's, just take us through your musical career, if you would. They tried to get me a lot. <laughs> they tried to get me. I did one term, I think. Okay. I remember that song. It was like, Haspi, Ra, Ra, Ja, oh, La, La, yeah. whatever. Were you in choir that term? That one term, yeah. yeah okay. Fall term. <laughs> no, it was winter term. Um, but then I was like, oh, they're going to like go travel places. And I'm like, I can't afford that. And I was like, I'm China. Gonna, yeah. I was like, I can't afford to go to China cause I had to pay a certain amount. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going to bow out. And they're like, no, JJ, you should go. We'll figure it out. I'm like, no, I don't really want to. It's cool. Come on, JJ, um, you're awesome. Come with us. But I, I've always <laughs> done, I've always done musicals. Um, and when I got to college, I like my dad played harmonica I think he tried to play guitar a little bit when I was a kid. We should talk about, because uh, we haven't mentioned it, where, like where you're from. Oh, I'm from, born in Portland, um, Gresham specifically. And then about 94, 95, I want to say it's when like Jurassic Park was in theaters. <laughs> um, dope movie. Um, then we moved to Pendleton. Well, in between Pendleton and Pilot Rock, uh, I went to Mackay Elementary for like half of a year. Mm-hmm. And then we moved to Pilot Rock. So do you have a lot of memories of that move from the Valley to rural Oregon, or do you pretty much just remember being over here? Memories are fun when you got PTSD and ADHD. Sure. Um, (laughs) And so, no, I have most of my vivid stuff is like, I got these like glimpses and pictures from like before the age of like seven. Okay. Of, like, Portland kind of. Yeah. The reason I ask is just cause that was, I mean, I was, I was born in Pendleton. I've always been familiar with the area and visiting and stuff, but I kind of grew up in the Valley and came this way too. So, but, um, but sorry. So it's music. very familiar though. The Valley is very familiar to me. Like I feel right. comfort. Like when I'm in my old neighborhood, I, I recognize it. I, I remember it. I mean, it's not comfortable, like super like right now, but, um, <laughs> Because I just like the slow pace out here, but overall, yeah, no, it was, it was a culture shock. I apparently told my mom when we got out of the car in Pilot Rock that once I turn eighteen, I'm moving back to Portland, um, and she was like, "Okay." This nice. is when you were like seven. You when told I was her seven, that? yeah, I think I was actually six. That's a bold statement for bold a six statement. or seven year old. <laughs> when I was four, I <laughs> I'm out of here, mom. <laughs> yeah, when I was four, my mom asked me what I wanted to do when I grew up, and I said I want to play darts, <laughs> I want to drink beer, and I want to pump gas. <laughs> because um, apparently, like, well, my dad played darts and I played darts too. I was actually a pretty good dart player at the age of six. Um, and then my dad would drink beer all the time. And shout out, dad. And then we'd go to the gas station because his friend worked at the gas station and he like would wash our windows and talk to my dad. So I wanted to do those three things in that order. There you go. Sure. Play darts, drink beer, pump gas. That makes sense. Darts sober, gas pump, and drunk. <laughs> Safety first. I think you, I think you had uh, mentioned to me before that you grew up out in Pilot Rock, but I, I had forgot that until I heard it. Um, yeah. Well, if we want to get into it now. We can, uh, yeah. JJ j- was just on The Voice. Season 22. Season 22 of The Voice. Watch me on The Voice. Oh, wait, no, I can say. I was actually on it. I auditioned. Yeah, that's crazy. 
Blake, the, Blake Shelton, Camila Cabello, John Legend, Gwen, Gwen Stefani. Stefani. Yeah, the yeah. four horsemen of the voice apocalypse. <laughs> no, for, uh, for season 22. <laughs> no, it was great. Um, yeah, great experience. Uh, I got told basically my whole life going to like, worked at a karaoke bar in Alaska as a bouncer. Um, did musicals, did guitar, all this stuff, like played at tiny little venues in LeGrand until I did comedy mm-hmm. and then did bigger venues for comedy, mm-hmm. which was cool. But I always like was performing and everybody always said when I'd sing a song, even on my comedy shows, like you should audition for The Voice. And it wasn't American Idol. It wasn't <laughs> AGT. It was specifically The Voice all the time. So I, naturally I started watching the shows. I'm like, oh, let's see my competition in the future. Um, and I never thought anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I never auditioned. And that was it. Until recently. Until recently. So can you, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who watch The Voice. Um, I do. I'm a huge fan of The Voice. And I've known, uh, I think you're the second person I've known who's like kind of gone through the audition process. Well, you know Dakota Brown. Yeah. Did he go through the audition he went, process? I don't think he was ever on the show. Um, but he was going through the audition process, um, I don't know how many, maybe five, six, I know that seven him years and ago. Holly Sorensen. Oh, that's right. Holly Same was doing time. it too. Yeah, they both had, they both sit in like video submissions, I think. Holly's such an well, they're both amazing singers. And I remember that buzz and I was like, I was stoked. I th- I think even like Dakota released a video on Facebook, like a little promo video of like yeah, I actually just looked it up. It was him and Luke uh, Basil, I think, just, okay. just singing. And I think it was kind of, uh, maybe that was like s- kind of the song they did or something. I don't remember okay. exactly. But um, but yeah, so I guess I know three people. Yeah, and, I do. But you're the only one who has actually made it on the show. Made it on the show. To get a potential, potential chair turn. But can you walk us through just the whole process from beginning to your experience in L- it's LA, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just take us through the whole yeah. thing. Hollywood, LA, California. What you um, can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, definitely only, <laughs> but so I, I, I had given up, you know, the idea. I, I, I didn't really think about it. I was just kind of placating my friends and family who were like, you should do this. You should do this. Um, and then, I made a, a movie, which we could probably talk about later. Yeah, we'll get we, into we it We got to get back to that <coughs> for sure. But we'll get to that. We're definitely tuned into the voice here. So I decided, I don't know, this and this is pertinent. I decided to quit my job. Um, I was working at the college um, where we ran into each other often. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just time. I said, I'm going to do this. My wife said she would take on the the financial support thing to where I could focus for a little bit of time. We had some money saved up uh, so I could write and do this movie that I wanted to do. I wanted to do just a weekend getaway movie with uh, like (laughs) five, six friends just to go camping. It was an excuse to go camping and just in film and do stuff all day together type of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was meant to be that, but it turned into this whole thing. Um, Then we eventually got 80 plus cast and crew of uh, 50 some odd days of shooting um, so far a year and change into post-production um, and movie going to come out or going to be coming out in spring. So like that condensed version, that all happened. August 2021, go mm-hmm. back some time. We just got done filming the principal shooting of the movie. 
So this is the quest portion, like all summer long, every weekend, 12 hours a day. Wow. Grueling hiking because uh, we didn't have like a lot of equipment to transport people. So people were in like full armor carrying like 50 pounds, 60 pounds worth of cameras and sound equipment miles a day. Super fun, That's sweaty, cool. lost a lot of weight, water weight. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but all that happened and it felt really good. You know, it was, it was one of my bucket list items that I said, I'm going to make a movie whether it's a short film or a full-length feature that's going to be seen somewhere by people, it's going to be fun, it's going to be detailed, it's going to be great. Um, and we did it. And then I was done with it, and then towards the, towards the middle of filming, I realized fully, I knew uh, the collaboration and everything beforehand, this was no longer like my project, and I guess that sounds a little selfish, but I was okay with that. It was a, that was the whole point, is the point to grow an idea that I had Involving other people, turning it into a completely new thing that it's its own entity separate from us. And you turn it over to the world and you probably didn't know when you started where this was going, but you're just kind of letting it be what it becomes. Is that fair? Yes, Yes. exactly. That's the idea. So I had relinquished my connection with it and I'm just kind of building it up as a supporter now to kind of get it seen. So I I didn't have a focus Uh, and I wanted to do another thing that was more driven towards furthering my career in the arts, whether it be comedy, music, movies, something that would get me seen or whatever. So then my wife and I were at the beach um, because after filming got done, we planned to go down to the coast for at least two weeks Mm -hmm. just to unwind. We literally sat on a beach house for two weeks, watched TV, cooked food, baked, Walked our dogs. That was like our exercise and going outside. <laughs> we just like decompressed and chilled. I love that going to the coast was followed by we watched TV. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, we, we turned it off. And then also the, the windows to the water were nice, too. Um, yeah. But like it was really nice. And then while we were there, we just had time. And my wife's a writer um, and she was writing. And I just decided to start playing some music and write some songs and serendipitously um, I got an email uh, I had signed up for an artist account years prior just to see what the voice was all about because mm-hmm. you had to do that and they sent me an email invite to an open call wow um, open call audition you had three minutes um, well no it was a, no sorry it was 30 seconds um, of a clip of a song Oh, okay, so, so it's just a clip. You're not like flying anywhere or driving yep. anywhere to audition. Yep. So and that's like part of the video submission. So I just answered the open call and it was they liked it. I got I got called and I'm like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna start talking to you. So and then the next thing I know, I'm I'm on that stage and like like Wow. Yeah. It was how, in that how, in that space. How soon after you send in that clip do they get back in touch with you? So that seems nerve-wracking. Yeah, I mean... Or do they give you... Do they say it's going to be at least a when month or two? I, it, was relatively, it was relatively quick. Um, That's nice. So I didn't have a lot of time to wait. It was like they're, how everything was handled like was wonderful. Like the people was really smooth. And it was just really cool to work with every individual mm-hmm. um, to get to the point. It was just really... Nice experience. I thought it was going to be different because, like Hollywood, you know, you have the rumors yeah. and stuff. But it was really just nice individuals, people just working hard. That's something I've always thought about the voice is that it seems like such a well-run show. Yeah, I, that's that's 
what I a lot wish of I could talk about the the behind the scenes stuff. I wish I could talk about that in detail, and I'm fine yeah. with saying this because everybody that I interacted with was just a joy to like work with, and they loved their job. And like, I think that's what sets it apart from the other music shows. That's what I was going to say. Is that, and I think you know Kelly Clarkson has been on the show a lot, mm-hmm. and she, she was, was off, obviously mm-hmm. on American Idol, um, and I've heard that she didn't absolutely love her experience with American Idol, uh, maybe afterwards or, you know, whatever it may be, but she like loves how the voices ran and set yeah. up. And, um, now I, I can, I can agree if, if she said that my own personal experience, cause I did audition for American Idol. Um, I have as well, actually in 2011 at the Moda center. Uh, that might have been this. That was the same year I did same it. Year you did it. Too. Yeah, <laughs> I went with Chong Slippy. Shout out to Donald Slippy. Um, he lives in Pendleton now, which is cool. I feel like I didn't get through. I feel like I would remember him. Did they have you come down to the floor of the Motor Center? Yeah, and point at four people. Yep, and say sing. Yep, and you all four sang at the same time, and they either they said it. They didn't no. pick anybody in my group. No, we didn't sing at the same time. You guys all sang at the same time. Yeah, that my guy, my guy with the white hair, white curly hair, producer. He's just a line producer. He's probably not on the show anymore. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's like all four of you sing, and we're, we all look at each other like, really? He's like, yes, all four of you at the same time. I have really good ears. <laughs> and there were five other stalls. We were in cubicles that's, that were right next to each other. That's so annoying. Mm-hmm. And it was just curtains. You don't even get your own yeah. chance to sing. So that was like, I was like, if this is how it works, nah. Yeah, I'm fine without being. <laughs> I went uh, so funny enough. I was dating Jenny at the time, and that was American Idol, by the way. Yeah, American Idol. <laughs> um, we went. Uh, or Jenny and I were dating, but we went separately actually. So I went with my sister and my mom, and then Jenny went with her brother and her dad down there, and we cool. saw each other while we were down there. But um, I think for all of us, it was just kind of more of the experience than anything because yeah. we had watched American Idol for so long and it was like, well, even if we don't make it past anything, like we get the experience of but you auditioning. See, but you see right there, like when I was at the Bona Center, I realized I'm like, oh, I didn't see any cameras. You know, there's no camera crews there or anything like that. I saw cameras. You did? Yeah. I must have been there early before they got there. Yeah, and even uh, there was a camera because Jenny and her brother and dad were kind of towards the back, and there was a camera that came up to them and like asked them oh. questions too. See, but, I just I was in a promo photograph. Hmm. It was it was this young girl who actually got on the show that season from Moda Center, and it was me and Chong standing behind her, and I was double chin going like this, like pointing at something. And Chong looked chill, but I was like, hey, I'm on TV. It's cool. <laughs> um, so I was already on another show, I guess. Yeah. So I sang... Uh, yeah, what'd you sing? Bless the Broken Road by Rascal Flatts. No way! Yeah. Yep. I'm singing I, that song currently. No way? Yeah. I honestly you got thought she let me sing longer than the other three people. I thought she was going to have me go through. You but got then, a guitar? But then she didn't. We don't. Lowell had a bunch in here, and he uh, obviously, for good reason, took them with him. I, we need to have some music in the studio for this reason. I got a guitar. Let me see if I yeah. can bring this up, if it can play over this. I want, can you hear? You don't have, yeah, you don't have headphones on. You can't hear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you can hear it if I play it. I People, wanted to ask, too, be because, to or at least talk about how 
obviously you, you try out for something like that. You put yourself out there and it takes a lot. And the goal is to, to try to win or walk away with something. But you still, I mean, can you tell us some of the takeaways from just doing yeah. anything like that? Even if, you know, like maybe there's one person that wins and there's like, I don't know, thousands, tens of thousands of people that are trying to do this. But but not being that one person that wins doesn't m- make the the experience of failure in my mind. No, totally. And that's, um, uh, that's what I was, my, that was my intention the whole time. My, my idea going into it was I just wanted to go down and sing a song for these talented mm-hmm. artists, like successful artists and for like kind of championing the people that have told me to go audition for the voice. Yeah. So intention wise experience, I gained everything, you know, like walking in, like I talked with Carson before, um, that was just cool in general, seeing somebody from my childhood watching on TRL, that experience right there, just having a genuine interaction with that human being, mm-hmm. kind of took that allure of that like untouchable fame and, and success in this industry away. And it's like, oh, it is achievable. Like this is part of the process. Uh, and going through the doors at that point, like when they called me to go on stage, like. Yeah, what are your nerves like? Nerves were crazy. Like, yeah, I bet. Before every show, and this is a glimpse into my brain, like every musical, every show, everything, like when I, before I go on stage, I literally feel like I'm going to die. <laughs> like I'm either going to go out there and kill it or I'm going to die. Like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keel over on stage. Somebody's going to kill me something. It's that feeling of <laughs> dread, like sheer dread. And it's like, oh, crap. Ryan Reynolds actually put it really well in an interview that I watched. He's just like, it just takes over. But then when you get out there, it just instant. It's like there's this switch that it's like you get leveled out in your brain. It's like oh, here we go. It's hitting now. All that natural dopamine from adrenaline rush. <laughs> but in you, in you focus. Um, so it's just been kind of this like process that I have to go through. So walking out there, I was like, I knew to breathe. I knew to take in this moment because I'm not 22 anymore. I'm not thinking about what's next. Just thinking about what's right now. And it was just really cool to just be really present that whole time, just walking up, looking at the band when I got up there, just like giving like an air high five to the drummer because it's really fun to play with that band. Um, putting my wands on the stage side as I'm walking up the stairs because I knew I was going to give them their stuff afterward no matter what happened. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, yeah, yeah. But then like getting out there and just feeling that stage, like it, it People are like, oh, what's the stage like? Is it that, like, does it look that way? And is it that big and everything? I'm like, yeah, it's that intimidating. Like, what it feels like and you watching it in that, like, big open space, it's the same thing. Um, so that, just all those factors playing in. Mm-hmm. And then not to mention that there are, it's not just looking through a screen. There's anonymity there. Anybody can watch it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But being physically there with Blake, Camila, Gwen, and John, <laughs> knowing, anticipating maybe, and how you crafted the song, you're like, oh, they might turn right here. Oh, they might turn right here. Oh, no, they're definitely going to turn right here. <laughs> and then that not happening. <laughs> <laughs> it was fine. That was the thing. Like, I knew my moment that I tried to aim for for them to turn was that last note. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Camila was close, too. She was, and I saw John was like sitting there. Yeah, John was, likes the unique back and voices and whatnot. And I thought I really thought Gwen was gonna turn, like because of, like the rock and roll style, and that was a popular song when she was 
big. Like, oh yeah. Uh, well, why don't you tell everyone what you sang? Max James Collin and Eve Six. Max James Collin's the lead singer. Yeah. Um, Inside Out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have I have my own rendition of it that I used to do, but kind of wanting people to groove with the nostalgic of the song. Mm-hmm. I just went like straightforward, mm-hmm. same key. Um, I just switched up. Like I, I played the harmonies in the second part of the first chorus mm-hmm. or the first verse, and then I, I I hit the bridge much differently, and I held out some notes. So I just I made it a little bit of my own, and on that last bit, I kind of added a little Chris Daughtry flair. Ah. Um, mm. Just trying channeling that gravel and, and smoothness. Yeah. So um, I, I, I like the support on Instagram. Thank you. If anybody's listening to this, appreciate <laughs> it. Um, yeah, I was robbed. No, um, <laughs> no, but everybody says like they, they enjoyed it. It was different. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's all I was going for. Yeah. And as long as people enjoyed it mm-hmm. and it was a different type of voice that hasn't really been even highlighted as much as it was this season because uh, it's a lot of country and soul yeah. and, and and secular music so yeah it was nice i feel like you can really tell from your audition that you wanted to go down there and and have a good time and it was like it was more about the experience yeah. for you than like trying to win the voice oh dude you yeah. could just tell that you were a person who was like really enjoying your time and um and we'll get back to what you said about you brought some gifts for the judges. Um, so you've got, is it a side business or how do you uh, explain oh, man, it? I don't even know what to call it. Uh, it started hobby. as, is, it was started as a hobby slash, um, I wanted to make, um, I had a bunch of one by one by leftover from props and set pieces for the movie. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I can't pay anybody because all the money went into like costumes and props and set and all that stuff so i decided to make whittle magic wands Mm -hmm. because i had i wasn't working during the time so during the filming i would prep my camera stuff get all my files transferred over i'd be done in like one day so i'd have like four days of like to either prep for the next weekend or kind of sit idly and do stuff so i whittled uh probably 40 wands to give to the principal cast and crew that had been there the whole time i was like thank you um then just randomly a friend saw it because um, I posted an early thing like, oh, look what I'm making for my cast crew. And he's like, hey, man, can you make me like a specific wand for my girlfriend? It's her birthday coming up. Um, she really likes Gryffindor, blah, 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 blah. So I took my time. And I got like some different stains, some nice wood, um, some Mod Podge sealer. Shout out to Mod Podge, <laughs> best spray sealer on the market. Um, not a sponsor, want one. Um, <laughs> and then I made this dope wand. It was like, uh, it was like super detailed and, and intricate, and it didn't look like anything she'd ever seen before. And she was like, just like really overjoyed and like, this is really good. And then I grabbed the wands that my wife and I got from Universal Studios. Um, that like have the stuff inside and they were all brittle and breaking because it was a cast of plastic. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what? Screw it. I have some time right now. I'm gigging, doing other stuff, waiting for other things to happen. I'm just going to kind of lean into this and make a bunch and then maybe just start selling them on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Go to a local shop and be like, hey, anybody want to buy wands? Do the farmer's market, yeah. which I'll be there this Friday with Ooh. wands. Hopefully... Oh, we may not be launched in time. 
Okay. Oh, that's okay. Because I think I'll we're be there up on this the... Friday if if this launches the following week too. <laughs> we're, we are at the tail end of farmers market here. There's, I write. There's this one and then three more. Oh, okay. We will get you out October. in time to catch one yeah. or two. Are yeah. you doing every farmers market or just this Friday? I'm gonna I'm gonna be there every week. Yeah. Awesome. Remaining yeah. Friday of farmers market in 2022. Yeah. So then, so the wands, yes. Then it kind of went to then went down to the beach during mm-hmm. the time, and I was out there just and I found a bunch of like driftwood that was like super hardwood. Um, it's like pre-petrified style. So it's like that compressed wood that's been floating around for 500 to 700, some even like thousands of years. There's literally magic in those. Exactly. And I was like, <laughs> wow, I didn't know that about some driftwood. So I went, I learned uh, how to identify it. And then I started going out with the saw, a little, little tiny hobby hacksaw on the beach, <laughs> um, with a, like a leather wood. Um, like basket style thing where you like lay it flat. It's like did a strip say, of leather. Did you say leatherwood? Leatherwood. Hey, <laughs> nice. But it's like a wood holder, so I just like started laying it through so I could just carry it all. And I found a bunch and made driftwood wands. Um, super hardwoods, dope. Um, then I went up to my father-in-law's cabin, um, and there's an old barn up on his property that tons of barnwood that has just fallen over from 1892. Wow. The wooden nails in it are all original from 1892. So I went up there and put a tarp over most of it to dry it all out and been making awesome barnwood ones that like the wood grain on it is just beautiful. So so the magic comes in during the manufacturing process or does it exist in the wood and you're harnessing that? A little bit of both. I, I, I release it. No, much like you'd knock on wood to prevent a negative thing from happening. You're releasing the sprites to attack the negative feelings. Uh, no, I, <laughs> it's, it's all about, so I had, a, I had an aunt who passed away. Uh, her name is Joy. And ever since then, I've kind of, it's been my moniker of life of, of spreading joy, doing a good deed a day. Um, a lot of that's been giving away free wands. So every 10 that I sell, I give away one free wand to just a random kid, um, a random person that just looks sad or something like that or is having a bad day. Somebody nominates somebody, doesn't matter. Um, somebody I think's cool. It, it's just random. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like that motto. So joy goes into every wand. Like so, while I'm making them, I, I love sitting in my garage, carving wands, um, staining them, trying to see what I can do next because everything's different. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's kind of that therapy meditation uh, that kind of comes into it. So it's all positive vibe so i tell everybody they're joy wands and they have the power of joy because if you go use it in public or around anybody and you're serious about it if you believe in the magic of joy inside that wand and you really commit to doing a spell on somebody they're gonna laugh or or even just having having the item having a wand like if you have an item that you just think is awesome it's gonna provide you joy and what about if you're walking around in public and mm-hmm. you have a magic wand, and it's not common to have a magic wand. And somebody who enjoys like randomness and that mm-hmm. kind of thing seems like they're having a good day. <laughs> well, not to mention, I mean, you just you could take this from so many angles. But here's here's this guy who's polite, gives me this wand. It's beautiful. It's crafted from hand. He says, "Hey, this is for you." I mean, yeah, I just I think this is that's just great. It's all about kindness. Or, sorry, it's all about kindness. I was yeah. <clears throat> cutting out there. But that's what, and that's and that's the whole vibe of the wands is sure. just spreading kindness and joy. So yeah. taking it back to the voice, you gave 
uh, and everyone who watches the clip will, will see this. Go and watch episode one of The Voice this yeah. season. Yeah. Um, but you gave wands to each judge. So <laughs> did you spend extra time on these wands and kind of like, well, this one's going to go to Camila. I'm going to make it this way and kind of craft it towards them. I or did. how did, okay. I did. It wasn't extra time. So I, I spent the same amount of time as I do on any custom wand. So same amount of energy goes into the custom ones um, or any like really fancy one. Like I have a deer antler wand right here with the hilt. It's beautiful and, and I want it. <laughs> but I have a beautiful one myself. It looks too. like something Voldemort might use. I know. It's it's a little evil looking. No, I'm scared it, that his I said it's does kind of look like bonish, <laughs> like doesn't it? Yeah, his does. It uh, looks like a bone it, for sure. Yeah. But when I was thinking about each individual, um, for for Blake, I went I went more of the comedy route, mm-hmm. as you saw, because it was very large. Yeah, it was. It, if he would have turned, I really was going to like give him just the big wand and, and keep the small one away, <laughs> um, just as kind of like a joke. Um, but I, he traded me a bag fair and square. So that's true. It's cool. I got a beer cooler bag. You still have the bag? Yeah. It says Tim nice, Blake on nice. it. Yeah. I get to talk about that, which is nice. <laughs> I can post pictures of it too. It's so really what? awkward. I'll just say this. It's really awkward when you walk in somewhere with a certain thing around your shoulder after you didn't get a chair turn and people assume you did from what's around your shoulder. Around his shoulder, the bag. Oh, because Blake gave you the bag, and so everyone thought that you were on Blake's team. My dad was like, <laughs> "Oh, it's like, are you sure? He's like, you're not on the team." I'm like, "Dad, you were there." Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is you were right there. Even um, I was confused just now. <laughs> yeah, and so it was, it was, it was, it was quite hilarious, like to have that. So now people understand why. Like, oh, he <laughs> traded. Oh, I really wish I would have traded every single one of them. Mm-hmm. For their gifts, because I would have got that jacket oh, from John. Man, those jackets. That camera from Camila. <laughs> what does Gwen give? Um, I, I, I feel like the gifts haven't been as prominent this year. Of the, Somebody's you know, listening and going, it's this, gosh dang I know, it. I know, we're messing it up. The The super fans that follow me on Instagram now, they're going to be like, JJ, you messed it up, dude. <laughs> um, so what about the other three ones? What did you do special for those three judges? Um Gwen's was like just kind of hard rock, so I just did like just um, like glitter all over it. The hilt was it had a little bit of uh, gold leaf. In oh, it. cool! Like I do gold leaf um, on like golden oak wands, anything that I do like kind of hard edges with. Okay. So it had like kind of like rock diamond edges in mm-hmm. the sections of the hilt, and it had a little bit of a twisty um, uh, stem <laughs> wand section, the magic section. Um, something I, need, it, I need to learn that. Something it didn't... I'll let you finish talking about the other yeah. two judges, but something it didn't really show... Um, it really only showed like your interaction with Blake, but d- you got to go out to each judge and hand them and... Yeah, I gave... Yeah, I just... I gave Camila um, hers. I, I just don't think they showed me handing it to her. Okay. Um, and then I handed Gwen hers and John his. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. John's was more of like a... Um, I was thinking John was like a maestro. Oh yeah, like yeah, conductor. Yeah. So I made it like a conductor style, really slim and or thin and sleek, because it's like a gorgeous, like ripple, like like water drop on rock, like over centuries, like kind of divots. Oh, that's cool. Um, it was really cool. So I guess that's my follow up to that question: is like, did you did you have the time to explain any of those types of things to them, or did you leave like a little letter or message with it, or I. Or, 
Or did you fail to do that? <laughs> no, I, 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 I did explain stuff. Um, Are you trying to figure out what you can and can't say? <laughs> yeah, they just they they didn't they didn't show like for timing wise. I don't think they can show yeah. like all of it. So there there yeah. was a little bit of explanation, okay. but it was more just got to the meat and potatoes of the interaction. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah, that's a tricky one because um, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> it did happen, and 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 it's it's one of those things we know it was cut up as viewers. Obviously, yeah. But it's like, what can I talk about? Yeah, there was some explanation. They they enjoyed like the whole thing. It was really cool to have them kind of turn, and Gwen to say like I was super joyful because that was mm-hmm. the whole point of like like her connecting me in my presence with joyfulness. Yeah. Just by turning around and like hearing me, and then that was my whole thing with wands and how I've been living my life for the past yeah. few years. That was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, Camila saying I was fire, pretty darn cool. Even John <laughs> saying thank you, JJ, when I was walking off stage, that was cool too. Yeah. Like it's all cool. All those moments were were really cool. But like the coolest moment was when I got to tell people that like, what type of music do you listen to. I was like, I listened to Tenacious D yes, on the side I, of the Concords. This is my next, that was going to be my next question. Yeah. So perfect. Because it's be- like, that's music. And I'm tired of people who say it's not music. <laughs> because I texted JJ after the night of the episode. Mm-hmm. I said, dude, just saw you. Uh, just saw you on The Voice. That's so crazy. And it was funny because my wife, Jenny, she was like, he's giving me Jack Black vibes. And then, uh, and then he says that he sings like he loves he loves comedy music like tenacious Tenacious, d yeah yeah it was i mean if in a in a perfect world i just knew i didn't even i didn't even try i knew that i couldn't sing wonder boy or tribute (laughs) on national television but you had that that, you had that band though that that was there you know i mean i'm not i'm not gonna say that i mentioned anything to said band but i might have (laughs) <laughs> um, about the need and want to play Wonder Boy. Um, because it is clean enough for the public, but the theme is, I guess, kind of a little mm-hmm. risque. But some most songs are these days. So I think I can get away with it. Um, yeah. But no, it was, it was just really cool to be able to say that and kind of give light to people. I've had people come out of the woodwork on Instagram and TikTok just coming to find me like, dude, Right when you like came on stage, man, I was like, this guy's gonna be dope. Like he's got Jack Black vibes. I can totally see like School of Rock. And when you said Tenacious D, man, like multiple like comments yeah. just like yours. Like um, it was it's the the support for that kind of genre and that the grit that I have has been really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not been I don't think there's been a lot of negative stuff. There could be stuff on YouTube. But I don't know how <laughs> I don't know how anyone could have watched your clip and like gotten anything negative from it from it it was all like positive vibes and joy like you wanted to express i i fell flat tonally twice (laughs) and i mumbled on a little section but i feel like i picked it up in the end and then ended strong and you feel you did end very strong you feel like that was mainly from nerves or for like mixture you know like it's Surprisingly, I mean, this was happening out there for me, so I can talk about this. I was cold on stage. It's cold. Oh, really? It was cold in there. Um, big airy room. Yeah, it was really cold in there. So I was, I was a little, I was a little cold. That jacket was nice. It was really dope. Um, but it's, it's intimidating. Uh, you can, you can sing in your hotel room or your car or whatever as much as you want. But once you get 
like right there. It's that whole extra level. So it really took me a second mentally to get into it. Mm -hmm. Um, and right when I started to get into it and I had this idea of no chairs are going to turn in my head right off the bat. And then I was like, just sing the song then. And I did it. And that was kind of it. I didn't. I didn't so that helped you? That, that helped that, me. That idea of like, no chairs are turning, just just do your thing. No chairs are turning from the first, I would swallow my pride, I would choke on the rides. Oh. Like the, like, so just how the song kind of flows, you wouldn't expect them to turn maybe no. till later in the song. So I'm just like, don't even worry about it, just do it. So I did it and I felt great. Like I got to move around the stage, danced mm-hmm. around a little bit. Um, but yeah, there were moments where in my head, because this, I've only been recently medicated for ADHD, mm. so I was still chaos brain of overanalyzing <laughs> the whole situation. So I had fifteen things on my mind while I was singing that song. That's so crazy. I was looking at the people, and I was lo- I was locking eyes with people in the audience and connecting with them, and like dancing around and thinking like, okay, if they're dancing, I was literally doing my over analytical yeah. thing. So. You, I could even see my face one time. I'm like, what are you even thinking of, dude? Why is your face looking like that? You're not... The song. The song. I know what face you're talking about. Um, and I just thought it... Yeah, I just thought it was the nerves. And yeah, no, I guess for you, it was the overthinking. Clip, it was just like I was thinking about too much stuff at that point. And then it, and then it stopped. You know, I think... I think what I thought it was, I thought that you... Uh, when I saw that face you're talking about, I thought it was you... Trying to remember the lyrics. Oh no, that was yeah, that's the crazy part. Yeah, it looks like that. Yeah. It looks like oh, he's losing the lines right there a little bit. Because it's a fast part too. But no, that's like that's a that version was just so it was plain, it was easy. Mm-hmm. I knew I knew that song since nineteen ninety eight when it came out. Like yeah, like that's been ingrained in my brain through watching is, those teen party movies of the late nineties, early two thousands. Is that the goal too? To to go in with a song that you know, like the back of your hand. I think so. Yeah. I think I think comfort is important, but I also think like passion and um, uncertainty is important too. So mm. playing along the line of having that full confidence yet knowing you can break and fall at any moment and let that happen is that uh, the chaos. Yeah, it's a chaos, but it's that it's it's <clears> channeling <throat> that like that beautiful life of, of a voice, not yeah. just a voice that's there, but like there's, there's something here. There's, yeah. there's something underneath it. You have to be present for what you're doing. And that means it can't just be a robot. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I feel like I was, I mean, I, I, I know what I can do better. And I know if I did it again, which I might do again, you never know, potentially. We'll see, what the fu- see what the future holds. It's not off the cards. I can throw my hat in the ring again. They pr- they bring people back all the time. I've seen that. Yeah. So I've literally seen it. Yeah. I mean, if I go back, I'll do things differently. I'll be more true to my style, um, and I'll just I don't know. I'll have the same intentions, but yeah, it'll still be enjoy more it. of more of a intentional time of not soaking it in for the experience this time. Also doing that, but but trying to. Leverage it, trying to, you know, get through to the next step, to see what the next portion is, to see what, you know, what unlocks as we go forward. Yeah. Do you think uh, your background with uh, theater and stand-up helped? You were kind of talking about that chaos and, you know, well, things go bad, but having that, it kind of helps you have a confidence of, like, do you think your past helps in those situations. Yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, 
music wise, I never really learned how to dig myself out of a hole. Like yeah. if you go flat or if you um, just miss a line or something like that. Theater also, I never really learned how to dig myself out. I learned how to improv, mm. which is fine. That's, yeah. that's great. But you're not really doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're yeah. switching it up to adapt to the situation. It's like a detour. Yeah, You have exactly. to find your way back to it. Exactly. Yeah. It wasn't until I started really doing comedy and then like focusing and studying stand-up specifically um, because I, I, my stand-up turned into mimicking my, my real life. Hmm. Is so, that a good or bad thing? It's a bad thing. Um, <laughs> because it, it, as now as a, as a, a well-adjusted <laughs> adult that has been therapy for years and all that stuff, you look back now and you say, oh, that's what that was. That's hmm. what these moments were. Well, back then I didn't think that. I thought everybody else was crazy. <laughs> you know, so it's, 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 that, it's that thing. That comedy sparked from uh, a lack of understanding that, I was the common denominator. Mm-hmm. So my comedy turned into this paranoid outlet of chaos and streams of thought that didn't have any place, mm. but it turned into my outlet. So it helped me cope with all that kind of stuff. And what that also taught me is how to dig myself out of a hole. Yeah. So you feel like maybe it's, I don't, my thought goes to like, do something. And maybe that's not the thing that you end up doing forever exactly, but it's still guiding you and it's giving you a way to think and process and you're getting experience from it, I guess. Yeah. Large, yeah. That is the, you stretch out the tiny micro thing mm-hmm. and that's large scale. That's exactly what mm-hmm. it is. I've just, I just compartmentalized that into a, a, a split second, mm-hmm. taking the improv, I guess, from acting and then applying it to a moment where if I say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing on stage and I, the, I see the audience instantly respond this probably is coming from like PTSD and child of an alcoholic and all this type of stuff, wanting to please people. So I instantly respond to the crowd and the audience with the next thing, mm-hmm. the next thing in progression. It's not, it's not changing what I did to make that fit because that's beating a dead horse. You know, mm-hmm. if they already have a bad taste in their mouth about it right then, it's over. So I learned to move on, you know, to get to the next part, to do the next thing. So on stage with music, what that applies to is just any of those moments where step on the wrong grate with a monitor underneath it, mm-hmm. get too far off your blocking, do something weird with your hands, whatever, hair falls in my face. <laughs> it's it's about and not focusing on it while staying present. And hit a on. bad note. Yeah, yeah, hit a bad note. In a musical. But don't continue down that track of don't slowly find your way out of that bad note. Because you're going to be flat and sharp and you're going to be going like this. No, get right back on Fix it. it Stop for a second. Mm-hmm. Lose a lyric and get right on it. Mm-hmm. It's in it. I guess it is kind of like acting. Skip the line if you have to and get right to where you know. I think they all kind of work work together a little bit. And all of those experiences you've had mm-hmm. really play well off yeah. of each other. And yeah. And I think doing any of these activities at a high level, sports, <laughs> acting, music, whatever, all this, it, yeah. it all has those same pieces of like... You have to be right between the ears. You have to you have to be able to let stuff go. You have to be able to to adjust and adapt and move forward. You have to be able to find ways to think clearly. I think there's there's a lot of overlap with with just being exceptional at anything. Yeah. And I'm I'm just really seeing that with what you're, what you're explaining here. Yeah, and it's it's really like I don't know singing wise. I say that anybody can sing. 
because um, people are like, hey, you want to sing this song with me? You go karaoke. Like, oh, no, I'm tone deaf. <laughs> like, you can be tone deaf, but you can still learn how to sing. Mm-hmm. A lot of people can. It's a learned skill. There are people who are naturally talented. We talked with Peter about this. Yeah? Oh, yeah. yeah. Can anybody he, sing? Yeah. I, yeah. Think, say yes? I think he said that he, said, he yeah. if I recall correctly, and, and maybe I'm wrong here, but I think he said that he remembers just one person that just, for, just they, they couldn't get it done. They couldn't break through. And, <laughs> it was J.J. Hill. Yeah, <laughs> that's why. Yeah. But, that's uh, why everybody can sing, and I think you know it's just like music and singing and stuff. What makes it beautiful and what makes it good is is a lot of things. Some of it is the reality of the person coming through that that deep meaning and truth. Some of it is your own style. I mean, obviously, yeah. if you think about like a musician or a band you love, it's not because they're like everybody else. It's because they they're unique carved the way, way with their own spin on whatever you know, something was. Maybe it was their own spin on an existing genre, or maybe it sounded like something cr- completely wonky, and then we look back and go, what is Fl- Pink Floyd, and how is that relevant 50 <laughs> years yeah. later or whatever? Well, I mean, people like listening to Macy Gray. And, yeah. uh <laughs> Look at, look at, I'll give you, I'll give you generational examples. Gavin DeGraw, you guys know him? Yeah. Um, I don't want to be anything other oh, sure. than what I've been trying, trying to be lately. Like that. Like he's got that. He breaks at his top register, He, but he puts that in his album. That, if anybody sings that, now it's cool. You know, it's like, oh, it's a little Gavin DeGraw. But if you don't sound like Gavin DeGraw, you could just sound like you're breaking and that's sounding like crap. Mm-hmm. If you sing Cindy Lauper, a lot mm-hmm. of just like, good enough. It's like really a... For you, it's really good enough. It's really loud and like like that yelly type of thing, but that works for her because she was that character, that whole thing. Yeah. If you sing a Cindy Lauper song, you have to make it your own, or it's just gonna sound kind of weird because <laughs> she can do it. <laughs> Other people, I don't think, can or should. Um, but like that's the thing; it, it it doesn't necessarily matter like the quality of the voice all the time. Nirvana. That's a great one. Yeah. Kurt Cobain had such a monotone, gravelly, not a lot of range, but there was something about the pageantry, the yeah, idea he, of it all. He knew how to package his thing. Here's yeah. my thought on that. It's interesting you bring that up because I had a, a tangent I was thinking down a couple weeks weeks ago because I, I've loved Nirvana. I mean, they're they're one of my yeah. favorite bands over my Pacific lifetime. Northwest. Yeah, totally. And S- Seattle just Seattle brings grunge music. Scene. And yeah, they had grunge. They got their own cool folk stuff too they've broken through with. But my thought with Nirvana was, here's kind of a tangent, is like, like you said, you look at it at face value, you're just like, he's angry. The, what are the lyrics? Like, they're all over the place, you know? It's just like, if you see shows from them when they were young, they're just like stomping around, head banging. You're like, what in the hell is this? <laughs> I think it was beautiful and it was unique. And I also think what made them special, this is just my own thought, was like, they were the embodiment of the feelings of so many people around them. And that's what made... That, like they were the ones that finally broke through to where in mass people could see like this is a representation of what's going on and how we're feeling in this like age group in this area and then it was just like they were real and and they just became elevated by by that reality of what they did plus it was just good music is that that's my tangent on the whole no, thing No that's you're totally right and that's the, and that's the whole idea like they found they spoke to a community um it was they, real. It was real. It was it was small, but it grew because everybody has similar feelings. Like whether it be parallel or not, they do have similar feelings. So Nirvana transcended their genre with other people because it was poppy. It was relevant. 
Mm-hmm. So like Pearl Jam kind of did it too. Sure. Uh, mm-hmm. Then when they took on Pearl Jam, took out Ticketmaster. It was another statement of their fans and the people that like that type of music in that community. Mm-hmm. So it's like finding that little that little niche. And Nirvana totally did that. And I think people can just do that in general. Yeah, they and don't I have think to be like, amazing singers. One complaint I have on this is like you people think. I don't know, at face value, you might just like see Nirvana and you might think like, oh, they're just turning people to these crazy people or just like they're the things they're saying, like they're twisting people's minds around. And it's like, no, no, people are finding this music and enjoying it. And, and that's happening for a reason. So don't look at this as the the thing that's creating chaos. Look at it, look at it as like a side effect of what reality is yeah. in a sense, I think. I truly believe that music can open up neural pathways to like stuff because they like music therapy and all that stuff and just the the vibes mm-hmm. that you get when you listen to music in your house like you put like happy jazz on you're kind of happy well my mom i mean she's got severe dementia and times when she's the happiest is when there's music, music. playing music yeah. and if she can dance that's even better but like just music opens her mind up and puts her in a way better mood and so yeah i mean it's powerful super mm-hmm. powerful and like things like nirvana can they transcended style. They created a grunge style. Like, oh yeah, people they... still dress like that's coming back right now. Like, mm-hmm. ni- late ninety, early nineties, like mid nineties is a style right now, which is insane to me. <laughs> it's like, a throwback 80s, style too. It yeah. was eighties yeah. right before that. It was. It's uh, like we're just following our parents' generation. It's like what was cool during our parents' yeah. generation. It's like comes back. People <laughs> think history doesn't repeat itself. Yeah, right. It does. <laughs> I like to ask this of people that love music too, and I I don't break this down question this okay. question down very well, but what has bigger what has a bigger pull? In one scenario, you're like, okay, I'm feeling like this, so I want to look up and listen to this type of music, and I find myself listening to classical music for this moment, or, um, you know. I'm driving and, and this song comes on the radio and I'm feeling that way because I heard that song. I'm, I'm not breaking this down but well, but what has a bigger pull? Like your emotions that say, okay, I'm feeling this, I'm going to go find this music or like, man, I'm angry because I just heard that song and it pisses the me off. The drive to seek out music to listen to or the emotional, and that emotional response or the emotional response guess, to hearing music as it's played just randomly. I guess I'm trying to think of like what has a bigger pull on your emotions like what I feel yeah. like I feel the emotion and then I seek out the music. At least personally, that's I, what I do. I feel because like I'm I'm always listening to different types of music mm-hmm. and especially with something like Spotify where I can just I can like search a band I know that's like in that genre or even a specific song and sure. then I can bring up, you know, a bunch of different songs that are exactly like that and just play that yeah. playlist. And then you say, all right, this is where I'm at, or I need to switch it up. What's your process for finding or listening to music when you tune in? I think it's the same way as I was when I was a kid. I find find an artist or a style that I like, and basically then focus on an artist or a few, Mm -hmm. and then totally immerse myself in that artist. Like, when I was a kid, it was Linkin Park, when I got a hybrid theory. Oh, I love me some Linkin Park, yep. Like, one of the best albums, like, from start to finish that I've ever had. Live in Texas, I've probably, that's probably still, like, my most played album of my life. (laughs) Yeah. The Live in Texas album. Not, I don't listen to it anymore, but I just remember, like, that was on repeat for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ironically, I don't listen to much Linkin Park anymore. Right, same here. But, but, like, nowadays, like, I'm into Lake Street Dive. Um... No way. Like, I'm going to see them on the 7th. At, Where are they playing? Uh, they're at McMinimins Edgefield. 
Wow. We got we got lawn tickets for the Edgefield complex. What's their style? They are um, like think hollow notes. <laughs> like I was saying, if you're gonna tell them everything, tell them I'm a good kisser. Tell them all the things you told me in your desperate whisper. That's a good one. I like it's it. Really what what instruments are going with I, this here? A horn. Like a, there's a trumpet, uh-huh. there's drums, guitar, bass. It's really like. It's a little jazzy, um, bluesy. I actually I don't know. do a cover of it with like. It's a. That's a pretty good mouth. I was going to say, JJ did that with uh, his mouth, if you're wondering. Trombone. That's the intro. Would that be a trombone? It's a trumpet. A trumpet. Okay, I couldn't, yeah. Yeah. But it's called, the song's called Mistakes, and it's just like this really like, it's just about like this player, and the lead singer's a female, she's dope, like she's got this really just like full timber voice, it's awesome, and it just, ah. And yeah, I had a friend turn me on to Lake Street Drive. Uh, Jordan Nolman, if if you're listening, she was uh, shoot. She was, you know, Jordan. No, I'm just saying. Oh, good job. <laughs> um, she was shooting some photos for me at a at a listing, and she, I asked her. I was like, "What music do you listen to? What, what do you want me to turn on?" And uh, she was like, "Have you heard of Lake Street Drive?" And I started playing it, and I was like, "This is good. Yeah. Like, I really liked it." And so I started. Uh, Start writing this down after that, yeah. yeah. But Lake, it crosses over drive. into like it's it's folksy, it's soft rock, yacht rock, bluesy. It's got funk, like it's got, it's got a mixture. It's it's, it's just a, easy to listen to. Yeah, it's and the voice, oh, yeah, her voice is great. Yeah, cover of Rich Girl. Okay, one of the best Rich renditions Girl. covers of Rich Girl from that band ever. Oh, that's nice. why you said Hollow Notes. Yeah, <laughs> we're we're gonna be wearing out like Lord Huron in that indie folk scene in Pendleton Outfitters. Man, that's kind of oh, one of my yeah. big vibes, and I feel like that goes with the uh, with the style of what we're doing. Lots Are you familiar with Lord Huron? Oh yeah, oh yeah, I love it. Lots um, of times when we is that, I'm not the only traveler. Yep. Mm-hmm. Who has not repaid his debt? Sorry, yeah, we, we need a little Ryan. <laughs> we need a little Ryan Smith. I don't have on this it. I don't episode. have it. I do. Nice. I do a lot of solid. mimicking, like uh, singers' voices. I try to, mm-hmm. um, just because that's how you hear it. And I'm just like, okay, I didn't know that I did that until recently. <laughs> so I try and sound like whatever like singer. So Ed Sheeran songs, I have an accent. <laughs> I totally do. Can I we hear a little bit? Can we hear a little bit? Yeah, it's. Um, oh gosh, um, what's that? I feel Barefo- like oh, barefoot on the grass, oh. listening <laughs> to our favorite song. Like I say, oh, grass yeah. instead grass. of grass. Like you know, mm-hmm. I should say. Have you heard of Matt Mason? I've not. Maybe oh, I have. he's got good stuff too. I'm trying to think. Um, it's that same style. I think he's like Scottish, so the the accent's not that heavy, but it's just that Scottish. same like soulsy kind of. Okay. Yeah. When he's I got was... good stuff. Oh, cringe. Don't I make you cringe now? I don't know. No? Look it up. Good no stuff. Well. Cringe. Mm-hmm. I've been getting into Chris Stapleton. Ooh. I like that. I like that kind of... That, okay, grit. that's where I can get into country so music is where yeah. it's not like just this... There's some soul and some unique voice and stuff. Yeah, Stapleton and like Luke Combs, those are, Luke those Combs. are the guys I really like Chris in the country Stapleton. scene right now. a lot of Luke Combs this summer. Wow. Um, I like that you're getting into some old school Rascal Flats. Oh, <laughs> Rascal Flats came to Pendleton and they played when out when I was in like sixth grade. I went to their concert, snuck cool. down into the front row section, reached up, grabbed his hand. Was it in hand. Happy Canyon yeah, or Happy Arena? Canyon. Dude, okay. When 
think I was eight years old, so it was like 96. How old were you in 96? Uh, four. You were born, though. You were alive. <laughs> um, I knew that. How old were you in 96? Five. You weren't here, were you? Um, I may have visited at times, but I wasn't like living here, no. Okay. So Roundup, 96, I think. I could be wrong. If um, I'm wrong, sorry. Um, but it's very apparent if I'm wrong. Leanne Rhymes was mm-hmm. a 13-year-old. Op- she opened the show. I feel like I remember her coming. For the Steve Miller band, you know, Fly Like an Eagle. Mm. Yeah. Who was the middle band for the closer band, the Beach Boys. The Beach Boys? Yes. We're here? I shit you not. So it was Leanne Rhymes, the Steve Miller band. And the Beach Boys. And the Beach Boys. Wow. the craziest lineup known to mankind. And it was in the re- arena, the Roundup Arena. The, the, the yeah, North the, Grandstands had the stage in front of it. They filled the Sun Bowl, the side, the whole South Grandstands, and the middle. Not like they, they do at the Whiskey Fest. They had it like they just yeah. closed off that one. They they section. used to host them like yeah in the Roundup Grounds like that. Like I remember seeing used to be big. like Jody Messina yeah, in, the, yeah. in the in the Roundup Grounds. Yeah, and yeah, they had lots of concerts over there. One too. year I got really disappointed, but then I found out now that I was like, what is this artist? What is their claim to fame? <laughs> they were on The Voice. Who? It was 2014. I was like depressed with who the artist was. Oh. I was like, come on, let's get a good artist. And they were on The Voice. No, they did a good job. They, it was a great, great show. <laughs> I just I wasn't familiar with The Voice yet. Uh, yeah. I, w- I just want to point out how much different arts and entertainment there are that are available to us and that are you know parts of our community that we can embrace more when we're talking about live music and how much that's happening all over town, either at the park or at GP or Jackalope yeah. Jamboree. Like there's a, a bunch of cool music shows. There's places to go catch plays. We went to the Organy Symphony um, and listened to Fractal Miniatures cool. a few months ago. I just uh, I just want to highlight the what I'm seeing that I love about this is just like yeah. there's so much entertainment within your community and people around you. And that stuff is raw and real too. I mean, like like Addison talked about growing up and all his favorite bands, even today are bands that played pretty much at GP yep. smaller bands on their way from through to Portland or Idaho or whatever. And so I love um, sons of guns. If you guys are familiar with that band, it's a little grand band. Yeah. Sons maybe you don't see them on TV. Time. Maybe you don't hear them on the radio, but there's still, I mean, your best music, your best film, all that stuff may come yeah. locally. Yeah. It's like little diamonds in the rough. Totally. You know? and, and they start somewhere. I mean, those kinds of, yeah, those kinds of people that break out that everybody knows about start grassroots. So there's and there's those people are actually doing stuff around here. Like y'all have your have the podcast, which is dope. Love that you're doing this. Um, like I'm making movies. Mm-hmm. Playing I was hoping we segue that way. Yeah, doing comedy. The Eastern Arm Film Festival is happening at the end of this month right now. So they they just released their trailer last night, I think, of the fest. So they have a bunch of great movies coming to Lagrand, like just a short drive away. Some cool art films, short films. Like, I've seen some pretty fun, uh, like, full-length features there that are really cool. Not just, like, oh. documentaries. So, like, that's that's happening right down the road. Mm-hmm. Walla Walla's got a bunch of venues that are starting to open back up again. Mm-hmm. Pendleton has still played music, so there's always stuff around here. I've never been to the Elgin Opera House, but is that still going? And t- tell me about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, personally, I'm... I... I know they've been operating with BMCC. Yeah, um, they're operating with BMCC. Like, I, I'm all for community theater and stuff like that. Yeah, it's just they they do a lot of like standards, which is great. Like they do like 
probably like they've done oh, like Shrek or something. Times, had, right? Shrek. Yeah. It's all like more, like more kid involvement. Sure, sure. Seven, Brads, Seven Brothers. It's cool. Um, it's not my style anymore. Yeah, a little like, like we talked about the niches and the avenues. So oh, they, totally. Yeah. Like that is like if you're if you're into theater and you like want to get kids into theater and whatnot. Um, I know some people that are like directors on some shows there that are top notch. Like, yeah. Uh, my friend Caitlin O'Marshall, she's dope. Like she does costumes, makeup. Sometimes she directs. She directed Little Women here at mm-hmm. BMCC. Yeah, I just saw that, and, and I that saw was, her too. That was awesome. Like Caitlin's, we went to college together. You know Caitlin, yeah, yeah. We, we were in, we yeah, in class we were, together. We were her husband together. Jerry was the director of photography on the movie oh. that I told you about earlier in the podcast. Mm. We must go this way, which now. we can talk about now. <laughs> the movie, the infamous movie. The movie out out of, of character. character. Tell us about it. How did how did this all start? Where did the idea come from? Yeah, just take us from the beginning. Well, the movie was just kind of like a, a brain baby of of ADHD and really needing to do something, um, <laughs> and a, a want a desire to get out in the open with my friends, and it just kind of turned into this crazy thing. Um, I said I had carved a bunch of wooden swords, like out of like big curtain rod dowels, like really intricate designs. Mm-hmm. I was like, we can go out in the woods. I've made these swords and these other wooden shields. We got to be delicate, but we're gonna we're gonna LARP with them and do a movie. And these are this is our equipment. I've got it. I was gonna buy some other things, borrow a camera, borrow some lenses, and just do it. <coughs> then we realized, oh, probably safety. Might want to have foam. So I went and bought some foam and tried to make like some foam axes and some other things and some swords. They didn't look amazing, but we're going to do it anyway. Um, (laughs) The whole thing takes an interesting spin if somebody gets their arm cut off. Right? Exactly. (laughs) So then like with with just logistical things and whatnot, I I wanted to fully round out the story a little bit more. So I brought in a a bunch of people, um, just notable people, Jerry uh, Marshall was director of photography, and then Alan Arnson was the overall sound guy and my wife Kaiso business manager um, and like kind of social media marketing. Mm-hmm. So we had all like the intricate pieces. Uh, I did have a co-writer to help expand the world and a co-director, um, which you know of him as Liberty Odell. I don't Maybe. know if you met him. He was, Probably. A theater, he was a theater guy. But he was, on, he was a co-writer, co-director on it, and he was in it a little bit too. I was in it as one of the principal um, champions. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what happens, um, but I had a great time like being in it and being, and I was also camera B. So like all this stuff like started happening. We started to get more people. Um, the story went from a 15 page, 15 minute movie to an hour long. And then it turned into 120 pages. Um, oh. And then it got shortened down to 99 um, with 122 scenes total. So we have different locations and everything like that. Um, we found somebody who to do props, like who was willing to do it for very little cost, um, and basically calling us when they found something at the thrift store that was cool, and like, hey, can you afford to give me Venmo me fifty dollars if I buy this right now? It's like, yes, do it, go for it. Um, got do- donations from some local people, like in the amounts of like five hundred dollars, which was cool. Um, family members really stepped up and helped out, like. It was really cool, and I spent probably about twenty thousand dollars of my own money. Wow, so you're very invested. For pre-production. Um, so total for pre-production up until filming, we had spent about $32,000 mm-hmm. for all the foam weapons that we had custom designed. So somebody did 
carve out all the designs on wood, but they, then they made a cast of that. And then we bought two-part foam and with fiberglass cores, and poured all the casts. So we had multiples of each weapon. Um, all foam. We had this uh, six and a half foot tall hammer, war hammer. Wow. Um, that Haley, uh, the smallest person on the <laughs> cast, she was the battlesmith, so she carried that around. It was just like winging it. Her fight scenes are really cool because she's just like hitting the extras pretty hard. Swiping uh, people out. Yeah. yeah, you could see in like the impact, and those guys are like, oh, and you're like, you're not supposed to say anything. And I, I couldn't help it. <laughs> so, and um, uh, full foam shield. Um, that's like intricate and has a, has a sword sheath on the front that's snakes intertwining together and the foam sword sits in the front of it. Mm, like that's cool. Intricate costumes from scratch, full period pieces, medieval time. So all the Viking like pants and tunics and everything, it's all legit patterns. Um, we spent a lot of money on legit boots, like leather <laughs> measured to the feet to a T so they wouldn't get uncomfortable mm -hmm. probably like three thousand dollars worth of boots like leather boots for the cast so tell was, me about like the conversations that are taking place when you're deciding like okay this was a 15 minute thing we're just gonna have fun and oh well <laughs> hold on a second maybe we have more here i turned into the idea like the idea is fun the idea it was something that hadn't been done but the components within it had so it was familiar to us already like the idea of shooting a mockumentary great it's gonna be funny the juxtaposition between real life events and then cutting to somebody commenting on it afterwards. There's always some form of, uh, of, of just lightness to the situation where you can laugh. You're like, mm -hmm. I've been there and I wanted to comment what was in my head. Mm -hmm. So that piece really played to it. The LARPing side came really early because nothing's really been done with LARPing that's good, unfortunately. There's a Vice News like 20 minute doc on LARPing and it's really about people and I liked it. It was really, it was, yeah. but it depicted people about, with special needs escaping to the LARP communities. Oh, uh, like it was just some really kind of like a outlier, real small, more of like reporting on what group it, of people kind of thing. What or? this niche thing yeah. can do for some people. Type sure. Of thing. Yeah. And for but, those, which was not representative of the entire community, is what you're saying. <clears throat> not at all. Sure. For those who don't know what LARPing stands for. Live action role play. Live action role play. Yeah, and you said it hasn't really been portrayed in, in the public eye. In my mind, I think about like the movie Role Models, right? Is that I mean, that's the <laughs> yeah. that's an awesome depiction of it in my head because of the joy that they're all having on that. But yeah, they're very depicted as nerdy, um, uh, weirdos of society. Even the main characters make fun of them while they're in there. And mm -hmm. it's even a slight to the whole last battle when they're dressed up as kiss characters right. and not period piece like <laughs> yeah. medieval style. So, so yeah. Yeah. So I guess you can define for us what LARPing is, but, but before that, I mean, I think what you're saying, yeah, what I loved about role models is like you said, they, they painted the characters as kind of these fringe weirdos at the same time. Like the, what really made it beautiful was the buy-in of the community and, and people just like getting on board and saying, you know, it's like, it doesn't always have to be something that you love or that you're super passionate yeah. about, but those people are, and they're working together. And then, you know, just by the joy and what it means to them, there's other people that find importance and value yeah. with it too. But, but LARPing, can you define it for us? LARPing. So uh, LARPing is like, is imagining, you know, LARPing live action role play. So if you've, if you're familiar with Dungeons and Dragons, that is a tabletop game where there's just a grid of squares in front of you. You have a piece of paper that has your stats, and then you have the people sitting around you. And mm -hmm. then there's one person in charge that tells the story, 
A DM. Asks a DM, dungeon master, or a dungeon guide, a DG. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. there's two of them. Um, they they ask you questions, prompt you with things. You can ask them questions. They 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 are the caretakers of the journey that you're about to go on. Imaginary imaginary journey with your friends. The idea is taking that thing and putting it in real life in a physical tangent reality with yeah, yeah. So where it's it's like for me as an actor i'm really an outward in so that means i don't need to look inwardly to the character to embody that character what helps me is being in their environment wearing the same clothes or my costume having the makeup on having the lights on having all the components for the show sure of what the or what the real world of that character is mm-hmm. that's what gets me in it so larping putting on armor and like a tunic and a, a sash with a sword in it. That's the feels cool. So it already gets them there. So it's that it's playing on that imaginary, um, just pull to, to come out there and people really take it serious. Like mm-hmm. they want to stay in character. There's certain tents at these events where you don't have to be in character. Um, and sometimes it's fully immersive to where they want you to be in character the entire weekend or week long or month long, some of these, some of the Ren fairs go for like a month. And just to to paint a picture a little bit, this is like mid medieval, yeah, Middle Ages, like a salon. Yeah, swords, bows, yeah. maybe armor, maybe tunics, that uh, kind of war stuff. tents. A lot of the times um, when it's non LARPing, because there mm-hmm. there's different types of LARP. Like Renaissance fairs are overall a LARP too. Mm-hmm. That's just living. Like they're just tanning hides, cooking meals, chopping wood. Mm-hmm. Well, and I had I had a friend who was into <clears throat> like actual medieval like fighting with actual yeah. swords. I don't know what that's called. It. It's like a Do you do that? That's yeah. a that's a thing locally. That sounds pretty that, cool, man. Is it I mean it's also live action role play, but it's not So there's the, techniques. Yeah. Okay. So there's like viking like warrior techniques like a standard axe and hammer techniques that you can learn um and a lot of them are universal because it's an axe and a hammer mm-hmm. same thing no matter what culture you're you're wielding it in so a lot of the moves are the same um it's when you get different with different types of swords um so when you're doing broadsword stuff hand and a half that's a lot of viking style mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. nordic traveler um, sure. pillaging um uh profession not they're not a people, by the way. Viking was, is, was a profession. Okay. That was my question is, know. yeah, how do you agree, you know, communally between the time and place that of of the clothing and the tools and the weaponry and that kind of stuff? Uh, uh, gritty. Like, uh, so post-Renaissance colors, you know. So it's always kind of the same window of time. Yeah. Uh, medieval uh, style was, was gritty. Uh, dark greens, browns, burlaps, tans, mm-hmm. you know, that, those types earth of like tones. muted earth tones. Um, uh, Game of Thrones, very earth tones. Even when you get down to like King's Landing, it's really, it's not red. It's like, it's Merlot and it's blood. It's, it's the, it's muted to where it's not bright because they don't want it to be bright. And that was the idea. It's we weathered. Wanted, it's real sure. Mm-hmm. And it, it gives that, we wanted to mimic that because it would just give us that air of grittiness and realness what we were going for because what we're doing is completely not in that realm. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're faking it to make it look that way. And then the juxtaposition of the people acting in it is actually hilarious. <laughs> so is it cheating that you have a magic wand and others don't? <laughs> yes. Although but there are mages, right? There are mages. And there was a, there was, we, there was this big like cardboard, like 
hodgepodge book that was put together, mm-hmm. like this big crystal on it with leather wrapped around the outside. And it was for our wizard. It was a sage. In the movie, it's called the sage. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, the classes are the cell sword, which is your standard um, warrior fighter. The battlesmith is kind of like a berserker, somebody who can go into a rage and like take out like crowd control. Um, your crusader, that's your healer, like your cleric type mm-hmm. of thing. Um, outrider, that's your ranger. Somebody has a lot of like trap sense and stuff like that. The sage, your wizard. Spell book. They use, uh, we used <laughs> cornhole bags for the spell bags. Because they, they were blue, we had mana, and then they were red for the fireball. So it was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, people got drilled in the crotchal region a couple times <laughs> during fights. And one of those is in the movie. It's really funny. Um, all the responses are very genuine uh, on the close-up cuts. Uh, and then we have a uh, just standard thief. It's pretty universal. Didn't name him anything else other than a thief. thief. We tried to go with the stealer for a second, but it's like... No, it's just the thief. You're not from Pittsburgh? Yeah, a rogue. No, we can't do a rogue. That's used too much. Yeah. <laughs> this is probably a dumb question, but yeah. sage and mage, is is that just male, female? I think it's just video game preference. Like oh. um, Dragon Age, I think it's a mage. Oh, and okay. the sage is just more of like a, I think comes from Celtic uh. and other things around that. I, I could be completely wrong. If I am, I apologize. <laughs> Uh, that was a terrible assumption. <laughs> no, it's just more of like, I think it's just different words for the same thing. A wizard, oh, okay. a witch, a sage, a mage. mage. Mm. Yeah. Sorcerer. Oh, sorcerer and wizard is different. Uh, do you want to give everyone kind of the, de- the description that you gave us of what the, what the movie is, yeah, essentially? Okay. Okay. Break it down. So, clear your mind. Take yourself back to a time. No, that's not it. It's not the movie. Um, but it is... Um, Littlefoot? Think about like Lord of the Rings, and how you felt when you watched Lord of the Rings, and how you wanted to be there, and then take The Office, that's another good reference, and merge those two things together. So the idea is this, this video game. There was a video game that was created to help out LARPers. Or not, no, sorry. Rewind. <laughs> So there was this app created by this guy in the movie to help LARPers and the um, LARP, like the people, like the judges that are out there just monitoring the monitors that were like, oh, you're hit, you're out, stuff like that. Like the referees of the LARP Mm -hmm. to be able to track hit points on an app for all these people that are in their LARP for more easy just access and, and, and just flow of the the fight and the the storyline. Mm-hmm. So, so he, somebody's basically, you have people that are trying to keep book on this app that yeah. are like your refs going around. And, okay, and he holds sure. up his phone and then it pinpoints who that is because they were on that, they put their information there. Gotcha. They took, got a picture that day to identify them and they're, they're like, oh, they, they got two hit points person, left. Sure. Mm-hmm. So they're, and they're monitoring that. That takes off. It goes through the community. He le- This guy releases it for free. It's great. Everybody loves it. So it's like he's got this little base community of all these like LARPers in every corner of the world that does this because it's this niche community. He decides, you know what? I have these people who've downloaded this app. I've always wanted to create this like global network, globally networked experience with all these people. Why not create a video game on the phone that does that? Same type of geolocation and like 
person recognition that he used for the app before, but he's going to expand on it and create a whole story that involves people on the East Coast and the West Coast. Like, let's say it's 8, 8 a.m. On, uh, on the coast of uh, California, and it's one, two, three, uh, 11 a.m. on the East Coast yep. in New York. You there we it. go. <laughs> <laughs> Simple math is fun. Uh, it you're wasn't even past the noon hour, so were, it was just <laughs> counting up. You were a theater major. So it was. You weren't a math major. I should have said 8 a.m., 9 a.m., 10 a.m., 11 a.m. I said 1, 2, 3. <laughs> <laughs> like, that helped me at all. But anyway, um, but where they would go to where there would be a park, like let's say it's just a random park in the middle of town in like Lincoln City. You go there, and then you're in Times Square. Or you got to go to Central Park, and but then there's the same dragon there, and those two people are fighting at the same time, same hit points. It's all live, and if they have cr crew in other parts of the world, same thing. It's happening. Is there one dragon covering the entire country, or is is how does that dynamic? Or are they like virtual reality tuning into the same field of? The bigger ones are story based. Okay. So if they're doing the campaign as a group together, mm -hmm. then like the big ones will pop up, and they'll have time to prep and do all that stuff and plan. But if they're like doing your regular grind, like in a video game where they're just logging in with their people, like I'm on a lunch break from work and I want to walk around downtown. Mm -hmm. Kind of like how Pokemon Pokemon pop up anywhere. Right, so, okay, so it's both. Same mm -hmm. idea, you're grinding, you're gaining experience to then go after the bigger bigger baddies. Sure. Um, so then he releases, he he talks to his, in the movie, he talks to his wife, um, his partner, business partner. He's like, hey, I got this idea. Let's release this game. You'll handle the business side. I'll handle the story and the production and we can just go and do this. She thought it was a great idea. Um, they created it and they released it. And it just it took off like gangbusters. It was 12 million unique downloads the first week, another 10 million the next week. Uh, ultimately, they got it to 24 million in like the first month. It's mm -hmm. a lot of millions. This seems too nonfiction y or too like, <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's such a. Too real? Yeah, uh, just like, okay, you're telling the that's, story. That's, 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 that's what I like about this. That's the idea. Yeah. The idea is to, I want people to leave the theater or the screen or their, turn it off at their house. Festival. Festival, wherever <laughs> they are seeing it. Go, I want oh. them to end it going, I want them to Google and see if that happened. Yes. I want them to go look and see a weird LARP event in Portland or in, or in Eastern Oregon um, in 2020. <laughs> like, did this happen? Mm -hmm. I want or try and find that app game. I want people to do that. Mm -hmm. So it's really based in that realism. So 24 million people play the game. They love it. They fall in love with it. They're just thrown out there. We start to introduce to these people that play the game. We don't know it's the group, but it is the group. Just introducing everyday people that are like, oh, I played it because my kids came home this day. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of cool. So we get to meet them. And then in the background, they're also very innovative they want to be different than any other game they don't want to just release and do the same thing every year they want to switch it up so the creator of it he's like i got a perfect idea we have all this property for making all this money we bought a ranch and all this stuff let's hire actors train them in combat with foam weapons put armor on them build infrastructure on the property and create an entire immersive experience with taverns Camps, trading posts, outposts. Across the country, right? Yep. Dungeons, caves, <clears throat> all in this 16,000 square foot um, spot in the mountains of Eastern Oregon. And then what we're going to do is we're going to select a party at random from the team, a clan that has played the game, mm -hmm. and bring them here to then champion live stream 
of the quest, the final chapter, to all the players that have downloaded and played the game. Mm. So it's this big like event where it's like, no, you're not going to play it. You're going to watch these people play for you, um, and your support will help them get through. Quick question to keep going here. Do Does the story explain, or is this a big reveal as far as like why these people were chosen or why the location was chosen, or is that just coincidence? It's just where they, where they were, where they grew up. Um, it kept kept it rooted for us because we're from Eastern Oregon. Sure. And the passion behind the writing for the area is really easy. Uh-huh. So the main characters... So that, that's where the truth of your reality builds the lens of the story here. Environmentally, that's where we had to take place. Um, yeah, but the storyline as far as like the movie is taking place with these are the people in this place, right? These are the people it, from all over the country. Oh, the okay. This was the clans hand-selected. Yeah. They, were they part of their own clans Just, and then yeah. they were individuals? They're in their own to clan come together. together. Yeah. Okay. They're in their own clan together. So right. they know each other through the game. Mm-hmm. They didn't join through friends. They joined through like the open clan button. Sure. To okay. do, just get the next feature. Mm-hmm. But then they all ended up together, formed a bond mm-hmm. um, through the text like box and whatnot. So they're all friends. They know each other through that only. They've never seen each other. Only two of them have because they're brothers. My character and John Kyle, <laughs> um, which is another hilarious thing. Um, so we get to, we get to meet them a little bit. We introduce them. They're not thinking it's them. And then they realize, oh crap, it is us. And then it's, it's about them traveling there and then going through the quest and the journey, um, tackling real life things. Um, it's dramatic. I I think any comedy has to have a little bit of drama and, and, um, tumultuous scenes in it to where you might feel a little uncomfortable because that's the point. Um, but then also it's heartwarming, it's funny, it's relatable. It's not like one of those things where it's jokes every 10 seconds. It's more of like you can tell what it's about the moment you start interacting with the actors on screen uh, when they're in the quest. It's just, it's just so apparent that it's funny, it's real, it's not, it's not gimmicky and cheesy. It's just it's relatable humor. It's like, I don't know, when I see somebody fall down and, and hurt themselves... It's not schadenfreude, and I don't I don't laugh because I'm like, ha-ha, you're getting hurt, and I'm not. It's more of like, oh, man, I know how that feels. Mm-hmm. That sucks. Yeah. It's it's that misery loves company kind of idea, but not leaning into it too heavily. Sure. I think it's a healthy balance of, of just like wholesome fun and just kind of laughing at misery yeah. and commiserating together type mm-hmm. of thing. That's awesome. I, like, I feel like that's a good uh, a good point for comedy where, you know, it's not so. I don't see so much as when we were growing up, like the one-liners and the try to fit in as many jokes, and you're plugging the the crowd comedy and the laughs and stuff like that. I feel like that good comedy that really gets down to where it needs to has that sense of whatever you want to call that dramedy or yeah. just that that reality of the situation and being able to look and laugh and say like, man, a lot of this sucks, but it's we can laugh about it and some of it's kind of funny if we can just be humble and real with each other or whatever. Yep, that's what I learned in my older age. Age of 35, when I was 20, probably 20 even, doing comedy, mm-hmm. it wasn't anything that I knew. It wasn't genuine. It was relating to people without actually relating to them. It was finding what they wanted to hear without having to know what it, that actually was. Mm-hmm. Now it's more thoughtful. Now I think of it as that. It's, it's not about telling a joke. It's not about. a shocker about saying the most like vulgar or repulsive thing. Maybe exactly. like you get some laughs with something dirty, but that doesn't linger with that being you. Sure. Exactly. Like yeah. my old jokes where I had a joke with, do you ever sit on the shitter and think to yourself, I could eat something right now. 
<laughs> that used to be a joke of mine. I liked it. It was fun. Crowd laughed. You guys laughed. It's good. But that's an easy, it's an easy laugh. It's always been an easy laugh because it's, it is a situation where nobody's comfortable. It's about finding those ones where only five people are uncomfortable in a crowd of 500 and making the other 500 laugh around those five people. It's, it's transcending that relatability and making it relatable to everybody, mm -hmm. no matter what. It's like, I know you felt this feeling. I don't care if you were walking out on stage when you didn't need to, you tripped and dropped a pile of plates as a waiter, or you accidentally told your teacher in eighth grade that you thought she was sexy, like, and that just slipped out. Doesn't did matter. That, did it happen? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, it's just one of. I didn't know what it meant. I just was like, hey, I think you're sexy. Um, I meant to say, like, I think you're doing a pretty good job. <laughs> yeah. Lord knows, I wanted to tell one of my teachers. Right. <laughs> but like, but it's just one of those things. Everybody's had that feeling. So it's mm -hmm. it's finding that like joke that like now I talk about going to the doctor or the sleep doctor for sleep apnea. Mm -hmm. And when he asked me if I if I smoked marijuana, I said, uh, yeah, sometimes recreationally. And then he started to tell me about like uh, responsible use of pills and and hydrocoding. And I'm just like, dude, you took a left turn and I want to know what happened there. Um, <laughs> what happened in your childhood for somebody to give you the idea that marijuana is going to lead to hardcore prescription drug abuse <laughs> especially in this day and age because that stuff to me is hilarious and if i present that on stage in a, a comical maybe surprising way people are gonna laugh harder and it's gonna last longer mm -hmm. than the shitter joke <laughs> so so the direction of the movie i guess we don't want to give spoilers yeah. right um we got to just kind of leave the leave the storyline there i guess we painted a good plot to to get the idea without giving too much away. Yeah, it's it's a it's it's a good story of everyday people finding the courage inside of them at all different walks of life and levels of comfort in in becoming somebody else. Mm -hmm. uh, is becoming a, de a depiction of themselves as well as a depiction of what they are afraid of. Mm. So 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 seeing the people in my my opinion the people who are in the middle in the movie, the characters who, who land right in the middle of, of taking it serious and not, those are the ones that I relate to. I laugh at the ones who take it too serious, and I laugh at the ones who don't take it serious at all. Mm -hmm. So our, our, our straight man, like our straight people who are like the anchors are, are those middle, middle folks who are just like kind of there like, this is ridiculous, Yeah, but we're doing it. Yeah, and I think being middle doesn't mean you know, like if you're unsure and you're sitting there in the middle, that doesn't mean you can't you uh, you can't you do nothing. Right? Exactly, everybody can relate to the middle. Yeah, it works. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, I like that, and I think you know, good uh, good film, good stories transcend what's really happening on screen. And I I wanted to talk about that a little bit earlier when we we're talking about movies and entertainment. I mean, obviously the budget on this is not the same as the Avengers, but <laughs> no, no, it's not. But the probably, you know, the root of what you're seeking film or or a play or a musical for is like to hear a story and to relate to people and emotions. And so um, you know, you talking about just people um, and the storyline of just connecting and finding value in each other and finding value in themselves and meaning and purpose, you know, that's a tale as old as time. And I just, I just love, uh, love what you're doing with it. So, Hey, I'm trying, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm trying to retell a story that's been told a lot for sure. 
And that's the fun part. It's trying to find that new through your own unique spin, though. Exactly. I mean, yeah, it's it's obviously a a, a tale we admire, but um, it's going to have obviously your own fingerprints and identity, and it sounds like quite a bit of uniqueness to it. So yep. that sounds like a lot of fun. Lots of lots of Easter eggs, lots of pop culture references. Um, <laughs> guarantee you won't get all of them, but the ones you'll get, you'll be really like, oh yeah, that's that's dope. So there's something <laughs> for everybody. Um, speaking of which, can I have you guys do something for me real quick? <laughs> Can I have you yeah. say a few things? What do we got? Let's do Just it. in your best voice, we'll start with. We'll start over here. Okay. Your best voice. I want you to say, like, um, a new game on the rise, RPGO. Lame. I don't know if that's going to take off. Something like, I don't know. I like 2K sports, something like that. Be more of like that. Okay. Uh, there's a new game on the rise, some type of RPGO. Um, not sure that's going to take off, but uh, I'm more of a Madden guy. <laughs> good. Now give me another. Give me like um, this is good, everybody. We'll, we'll, we'll critique his voice later. Next acting uh, I need you to do is say, okay, I may have spoke a little soon last week on the podcast. They have 12 million downloads or 12 million unique downloads now. Nah, no, never mind. This is it. That's it. It's over. This is, this is as high as it's getting. Something like that. <laughs> so I may have spoke a little soon. A little soon? A little too soon. Okay, okay, okay. Oh, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll retry that again. Do that. Do like, <clears throat> say I may have spoke a little soon. Wait, too soon. Have your flub. So I may have spoke a little too soon because the RPGO game has 12 million downloads. That's not it. That's Is not it, it LARPing? Is it Geodude? It's good. Um, I'm not sure what to call it. They say it's RPGO, but it's taken off. I don't <laughs> That's good. No, I like that. Um, are we still? Yeah. I don't know Clark's where we're. Gonna, I don't know where oh, we're, we're cut this out. We're rolling. I we're have to tell hot. the listeners. Apologize. We're on. We're on level one of the of the the you know thespian improv game here. So you <laughs> bear with us. I haven't done this. <laughs> I haven't done this since college. So. Yeah, Shannon's on maybe level three or four. I'm on level zero, but <laughs> fun anyway. Improv's fun. Yeah, you're, you're gonna have to listen to this and see. Have if, you watched uh, Murderville? Speaking of improv, no, I'm not. It's on Netflix, and gosh, his name's gonna escape me. It's the comedian that. Um, he was on gosh dang it do you know who I'm talking about I think I might know who you're talking about Will uh, Arnett oh, wow. is that right tall slender pretty oh, funny yeah, yeah. sarcastic type guy weird yeah. yeah so Murderville yeah, yeah. Actually, he does yeah. improv each each episode's like a different guest I and they just kind of Kumail Nanjiani um, his episode when he was a detective with him is that the one I yeah, seen yeah. So he's like yeah. the lead detective, yeah. and it's improv, but it's built with a basic script of like, there's the guest, and they're his he's new in partner. Character, and they're not. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, funny. but they're, they're like trying his, to. Yeah, they're trying to be like his partner, new lead, you know, detective on the case, and they go like to these murder. That cases kind of relationship. That's the based. The movie's based on not that based on that, but like that yeah. style of like. One's really into it. One's kind of like, okay, all right, yeah. next. <laughs> that show had like I don't know six episodes, and I hope yeah. there's more because it was hilarious. Cool. Yeah. So the the guests come in, they they know what they're walking into. So or? each episode is a different guest and so basically for like a, whatever a 20 30 minute episode, this person is playing and they know they're playing improv but they have no idea I think where the storyline is going. They're all detectives. Okay. Yeah. In a police station and they're a new partner to every one of them is a new partner to Will Arnett's character. 
Got it. Mm-hmm. And he's basically like the typical like uh, uh, burned out, yeah. divorced, d- you know, detective on the Drink force. On the that, job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so he's burning through these partners <laughs> that are the guests, and they're going to different murder cases. Standard and, detectives. Yeah. yeah, and they'll they'll walk in on a murder scene that's somebody laying like with their face in a bowl of soup, and they're trying to pretend <laughs> to be dead. And st- I mean, yeah. it's a lot of fun. It's good. I'm actually glad it came out because it is a real portrayal of every detective ever. <laughs> I just have to say that because Law and Order is the juxtaposition. I watched a show about it. They're like, Law and Order paints like cops and detectives these like perfect things. They're like, that's not how it is. Like, it sucks back in the back office. I'm like, okay. Then I'm going to say Will Arnett and his washed upness is the other side. It doesn't work that way, though. That's good. I like Will It's too controversial. He's good. (laughs) Well, um, did you say where we'll be able to... Will we be able to see the movie at the... The no. film festival coming up, or we are going to be releasing it fully in spring. If it comes out before then, depends. It could be on a streaming service. It could be <coughs> on YouTube for free. Um, we and we know we're going to do some digital release, so mm-hmm. it's available online for people, whether that be through Amazon or whatnot. Then we're also trying to plan a tour. Okay. Um, to where we're going to take it around, uh, couple it with music, comedy. Um, I just know some musicians that would come in place. We're going to have probably 15, hopefully, mm-hmm. um, like this summer and next summer, touring the movie around, showing mm-hmm. the small towns in the Pacific Northwest. That'd be cool. And fun. That's awesome. awesome. So so as of right now, where can people find ways to get updates or learn more about this? Yeah. Oh, great question. Um, Outofcharactermovie.com. It just kind of gives you the background on like the what, why we did it and what like pieces we're trying to enrich our community with economically and artistically out of character movie on facebook for all like behind the scenes stuff videos uh score examples like our journey so far all of our stuff that uh, we've done at the film festivals instagram has a lot of more artistic shots and stuff from like cast and crew there's some videos on there too but that's that's kind of a fun one of like showing like our artistic design through because we hired character artists mm-hmm. to conceptualize our, our costume designs with our people, then onto cartoons. We even have like stickers for them too. So it's like, it, it shows a full range of stuff on Instagram as well. And then on YouTube, there's a sizzle reel and out of character corner, an interview show that we started with the lead actor, Ad. We interviewed him. His name's full name's Addison, but he goes by Ad. And we do have more of those, but we had cast changes. Um, <laughs> so we ended up not using some of the interviews because they talked about the characters that they used to play that are now playing different characters. Mm. So it'd be kind of weird. Yeah. So but yeah, those are all the spots. Out of character movie is the keyword search. Um, yeah, watch for us. And put stuff up. if someone wants a custom wand. Yeah. JJ underscore Underhill 87 on Instagram. Um, that's my personal. It's it's a public page, so you can follow and DM for a custom wand order. Um, also see my stuff from The Voice that's on there and other stuff from the movie and other goings-ons about me. Wand Culture. Uh, it's at Wand Culture at, or on Instagram and at Wand Culture on TikTok, Twitter, everything. Um wandculture.com. Wand Give a website? Yeah. Wow. We 
uh, the name was really awesome. I have an LLC for it already too. I've like, I've locked I, it down. I'm surprised you got got that URL. That name, Juan Col- Juan Culture. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when that was available, like we were all sitting like around at the coffee table drinking wine, and we're like, oh, what could be the name for it? And I'm like, the Chosen Wand. <laughs> and, and we're like, oh, that's it, that's it. We looked the Chosen it up. Wand. Definitely Wand. gone already. <laughs> totally gone. Oh, yeah. like a year ago, it was gone. But then somebody randomly just went like, dude, you're like starting a cult, like a wand cult. And he like wrote that down, like wand cult. And then we just kind of went wand culture happened. Mm. <laughs> it was dope. We're like, this looks cool. It sounds cool. T-shirts are going to be dope. Love it. Sweet. Yeah. The wands will be available online. You can DM me or I'll be at farmer's markets here in Pelton. Renaissance mm-hmm. fairs in the area. There's a Harry Potter festival at the Dragon's Gate Brewery annually between Milton Freewater and Walla Walla. Oh, okay. It just happened on the 24th. I was just there. Uh, great turnout. Thanks for having us. Uh, but they're, uh, hopefully they're going to be doing that annually and then more events like that throughout the area. Mm-hmm. You'll see me with my wands and other random wooden pieces and stands and fun stuff. It's cool. It's yeah. If you want to kind of have fun and maybe buy like a – a three-quarter hooded cowl, <laughs> if you know what that is, um, to look like a wizard, you can. It's like 40 bucks. It's pretty easy. That's yeah. awesome. Well, well, thanks for being real with us, JJ, and taking anytime. the time, man. It was so much fun. Thanks for having me, and thanks for uh, indulging me with some lines for the movie. <laughs> yeah. And some we'll, more we'll work. We'll work on those, yeah. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> All right. Until next time. Thanks, JJ. Thank you. <laughs>